the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. Do, 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 do. Hello and welcome to Neighbors Trash. I am Paul and Kelly's here and we have Joe here and this is our third installment of the trilogy Scream. We'll be discussing the third installment of Scream. Now, uh, much like the last two, we're going to go through uh, the uh, movie and then we're going to uh, talk about it. Isn't that right? See, that was a beautiful intro. I could never do that. Right off, uh, I'm really upset that Paul dropped the uh, mid mid Atlantic uh, accent he had there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I wasn't feeling it. Um, but yeah, so this is the third one, and uh, we've watched uh, two of them already. So now, naturally, it's the third one. Crazy how Does that anyone... goes. Does anybody else? Um, this I I this is definitely at the beginning of all of them, but um. That Miramax logo. Does anyone yeah. associate that as just creepiness, even though it's it's in front of a bunch of movies that aren't scary? But I think when I hmm. see it, I automatically think of Halloween is what I think I'm gonna see. And oh, okay. so every time I see it, I'm like, this is a creepy intro. Like this is for like I'm about to watch something okay. scary. Like, I gotta turn the lights off. Does anybody else it's... get a creepy feeling from it, or is it just me because of that association? I associate it so much with the Scream series that I definitely see where you're coming from. I think I associate it with the Jay and Silent Bob movies. Is That's that right? No <clears throat> yeah. Because I know I recognize it. It's like the HBO, the static HBO always reminds me of Mr. Show. Because yes. that's the first thing I ever watched that was an HBO thing. Uh, you know, 20th Century Fox, I don't think anybody's going to say it's not Star Wars. That's the intro to Star Wars is the 20th Century Fox logo. Hmm. Um but I you know, think of Simpsons. Uh, for 20th Century Fox? Yeah, I think of Simpsons. I don't know like, why. I don't know if it's at the beginning of the movie. I don't know. I, but that's what I thought of right away. Hmm. Uh, Joe, what's your HBO show? My HBO show? Like what I think of when I see the static? Yeah. Uh, probably Deadwood. I mean, that's the first hmm. one that I really fell in love with. I didn't grow up with HBO. In fact, I didn't know anybody who had it when I was a kid. So it was like... Yeah, us yeah. too. Yeah, something I never experienced until I went to undergrad. And then, yeah, that's where like, I saw Mr. Show for the first time. And of course, by then it was like, you know, years over with by that point. Uh, that was great. But Dead was the first show I went like absolutely nuts for. Okay. Yeah, it's it's impossible for me to to separate it. When I see that, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for the dunk, dunk, dunk. Yeah. Yeah, that little theremin opening or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Columbia, of course, the Columbia production card with the lady holding the uh, the lamp or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. That's Ghostbusters. We all know that. Ghostbusters. That's right. Sorry, I just had to get my production card thing in. <laughs> it's no, no, no. okay. All right. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think it's Halloween, but I think Scream 1 maybe too, but like I think Halloween. But yeah, it's it's spooky. It's a spooky intro. Yeah. So I think so far of all like the the actual interest of these movies, I think that this is the my favorite so far of like the the intro scene before you actually see the the main characters again. And I think I like it so much because we already know and care about this character at the beginning. 
this is the first time that's really happened because the first one it's Casey and then she's gone and you forget about her. Um, and mm-hmm. then the next two, it's the people in the theater, and then you kind of forget about them too. But these, this is Cotton. Like we've known him for two movies now, and we're seeing his big intro, which is fun. Why don't you set up what happens? In okay, the scene? so so basically, uh, Cotton is in the car. He's on the phone. Um, I think with like his like publicist or something, and then he gets a call from like a random woman. It's supposed to be a wrong number, and she thinks his voice is super sexy, and so she like realizes it's Cotton. And she's like, and he's talking to her and then slowly he turns into Ghostface, and he threatens Cotton's actual girlfriend who is at his house at the time. And she uh, had just gotten out of the shower, I think, and is roaming around the house. And then he has to race back to the house to protect her. So that's, that's what's going on in this intro scene. Hmm. I have expressed disbelief before on this podcast in ways that I regret later because I think it comes off a little harsher than I intended. So I will simply say this time, I am surprised that this is your favorite. Okay. Well, uh, so I'm far. surprised as well. Yeah. I, uh, only, I like only because of the reason I said is that like, I just like that going straight into the movie, you already care, like know what's who these people are. I but think that's feel- nice. Like, like the rest of the movie we they don't really talk about cotton and it's not a big deal that cotton is dead you know it's sort of like oh cotton yeah like (laughs) i totally get yeah i totally get where kelly's coming from because i i think you're right like uh it is interesting to have an immediate connection with the character that you know you know exactly what's coming when you see cotton's like face you know in the first three seconds of the movie or whatever like oh it's his now um and that is new and that is interesting the thing about Cotton's character, and I don't know if this came up too much in the Scream 2 discussion, but like you only see like glimpses of him in the first movie. Like Leah mm-hmm. Schreiber doesn't really have any screen time or, or speaking lines or anything. Uh, and then of course he he's into and and he ends up being the hero of the second movie, which is which is cool. But I just feel like it's not a character we spent that much time with altogether, you know, for the first two movies. So mm-hmm. to me, I remember seeing it for the very first time when I was a kid or whatever. I was just kind of like, oh, uh, this is kind of like a cheap death to me. Like it's knocking off a known cast member. Uh, whereas I think I would have preferred getting to know him a bit better in this movie as well. I can yeah, see that. Yeah. Um, it it kind of cracked me up too at the beginning because like we we know Cotton is like this kind of a, he's a kind of an aggressive character, especially with uh, how he treated Sydney like in the library in the second one. So like we we kind of know sort of his personality, but like he said, we don't spend that much time with him but the line that really cracked me up at the beginning is when it's still ghost face with his girlfriend and she has the door locked and she has the i think she has like the poker from the fireplace or something she's got something to hit him with um so she's like holding that up and like for a second he switches to cotton's voice and like yeah. she looks relieved and then she goes is this just another one of your stabbing games yeah <laughs> like, how often yeah. is cotton playing stabbing games with her like it's like it reminded me of that like really unsettling OJ Simpson uh interview joke where like he like had the butter knife and he went ree 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 when he opened the door. <laughs> I was like, that's not basically what Cotton is doing to his <laughs> yeah. girlfriend right now. Like, like uh, thing. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. 
I was just going to say real quick, the second thing I have written on my notes here is Cotton likes to play little stabbing games. Little stabbing games. Because <laughs> I think that's what she called it. She's like, are you just, is this another one of your little stabbing games? And she sounded like, really used, like, oh, okay, Cotton. I was yeah. so worried for a second, but this is just another one of your little stabbing games. Or whatever she says, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I'm I'm all for people like getting to live their lives however they damn well choose. Uh, I, I, this podcast I imagine supports agency, hmm? but mm-hmm. uh, I will say that actions do have consequences and uh, circumstances do have consequences. Cotton, I'm telling you, man, you can't play stabbing games, right? Yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> one guy who can't do that. Uh, but yes, I clocked that as well when she said it. And I was just like, what kind of relationship is this? <laughs> yeah. Like she seemed okay with it. Also, we get a little bit of, I don't know if this is supposed to be. So Cotton's in the car. Cotton gets the call from this woman who um, pretends, or it's actually Ghostface, but got the the, the voice changer, pretends to be this woman. Now he has all sorts of voices. Like we don't even know yeah. who these voices are of a lot of people. But I guess I maybe to ease the blow, I'm interested to, to to see what you think. But we've got a little bit of like, oh, Cotton's a cheater too. Like he was ready to uh, cheat on his girlfriend for this uh, unknown woman on the other side of the phone. Like, yeah, random woman, just a random voice. woman. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know if that was supposed to be like, oh yeah, he's gonna die. So let's give you a little something here so you can root against him. Even though he like, as soon as he's like, oh, you're gonna kill my girlfriend right not wife um he's like sped home to get to her so but i just thought that was a weird choice i guess just to still give cotton that little bit of a yeah he's a good guy but he is kind of a sleaze bag like <laughs> that's that's interesting because i think this this also kind of dovetails a bit with our scream 2 conversation where i think in those in the movie especially the second one like they do set him up as a guy who kind of has those Gale type ambitions of like, he wants to be famous. He wants to yeah get the TV deal and all that stuff. And now in this movie, we're getting to see him, you know, kind of at the height of his game. He's got a Donahue style talk show called hundred percent cotton, which oh. at first, yeah, at first I was like, man, that sucks. And then more I thought about it, I'm like, actually, that's pretty good. That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I like that. I think, but anyway, we're seeing him live like the sort of B tier, C tier celebrity big shot life that he kind of wanted. Uh, and so, yeah, he's always had like that more salacious side to him. So him, you know, bathing in the adulation of this attractive sounding woman on the phone to me, wasn't like a huge indictment of his character. It was more just like, Oh yeah. He's always been kind of a sleaze bag. Hasn't he? Yeah. I, and I get that. It doesn't seem like they're trying to like, let's quickly make him like a, you know, undesirable character. Yeah. yeah. Like, because they they kind of turned that around, I yeah. So that was just I thought that was interesting, but like obviously, yeah, it kind of does go with his character anyway. So I don't think that was a huge thing. I am sad. I guess I completely forgot I have seen this movie. I must have seen it out of context with the other two, um, because I did not remember Cotton ends up getting stabbed in this early scene and dying. Um, I thought he was a part bigger part of the series. Um, but no he's no he's no longer part of the series i'm with you paul that i i don't really remember this i didn't remember this movie very well i think i've literally only seen it the one time like when it first came out oh Uh, okay i'm glad kelly is leading this discussion um i I do want to say up top that uh i like this movie um this is one of my favorites is it one of your favorites okay yeah see for me 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, this is a movie that strides like bravely forward, sticks out his chest and says, whatever. Like that's <laughs> kind of the vibe I get from this one a little bit. And I can see why compared to the first two, like this was considered probably like the death of this. Like, you know, like, well, they won't make another one after this. Because right. it, it does. does yeah. It does feel very final. Like it feels like they're having a lot of fun. They're they're adding random cameos that we'll get to later. Like just, it does seem very like, okay, like we're just gonna have fun with this while we have all our like characters still together because this is the last time they're gonna be together kind of deal. Right. Yeah, definitely. Anyway. So from here, uh, so I've got the opening scene, Cotton gets stabbed, his girlfriend gets stabbed. And then I'm pretty sure based on my notes, I, I think this is where we go from here. We go to Sid's house where we see that she is basically like living like a hermit. She's got um, a big house out in the middle of nowhere. She's got a sweet little golden retriever walking around with her. <laughs> she's She's got a call center job where she goes by the name of Laura and she takes all her calls out there. I think it's a crisis center for women is who she's talking to on the phone. So she gets calls <clears throat> from there. And I think her dad is like the only person that comes out to visit her is, is what I gathered. And a few people know where she is. So that's a big thing in this movie is that I think um, Ghostface is trying to hunt Sydney down. Like that's the that's the first thing right. that we're like suspecting of characters while while we're trying to figure out who is Ghostface in this one. It's like who's trying to like find where Sydney is right now. So that's where we are now. How about dad coming back, huh? Your dad came nice. Same dad. Yeah. Same dad. He looks exactly the same to me. It's crazy. Okay. I, I felt like it was. I wrote new dad question mark, old dad question mark. Because <laughs> I, I think... felt like I was pretty sure it was, but I, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I think something that warps my perception of time uh, is just, you know, life in the last five years, especially. But sure. um, but more generally, I feel like it takes longer for media to come out now because I think studios wait until they see if it's a hit or not. And then they'll order a second season or a sequel or whatever. So you'll have like three or four years sometimes in between installments, right? Right. And in this, I think, so I think the first Scream came out in like 96, I think, um, maybe 97. But this this came out, Scream 3 came out in 2000. So we've had three movies in the span of like three or four mm. years, yeah. um, which is just how things used to be done. Uh, so for me, of course, seeing the, you know, the, the third part of a trilogy, I'm like, damn. Her dad looks exactly like in the first one. I was like, <laughs> it was two years ago or whatever. God. Yeah. Man does not age. <laughs> you know, it looks like some, three or four years older. At <laughs> some point before this, I had two notes. Uh, so I think that just to go back, because I, I think we, um, Joe, you were you were saying this before. Jay and Silent Bob randomly show up. Kind of yeah. silly. Um, but pretty silly. That's, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I have it. I have new dad, old dad after that. So there's okay, but I have love Sid's house, and I have a bunch of stuff about Courtney's hair until. I <laughs> okay, well, maybe I um, maybe I wrote it down. I don't know why I would have written that written that down. There must be a scene in between there somewhere. So I, there's um, us meeting the actors of the. Um, there's ah, Gail, okay. Gail and Dewey reuniting, meeting the actors, and then we see Jay and Silent Bob. Okay, because they're at the studio. Yeah. So Jay and Silent Bob are Jay and Silent Bob. They are not they, uh, the actors playing Jay and Silent Bob. They appear to be Jay and Silent Bob, yes. Yeah, yeah they uh, <laughs> they see Gail go by and then uh, 
Jay looks directly into the camera and says Snoogans, and then they just walk <laughs> off. Um, that would have been better, I think. <laughs> it, is, it is jarring. And that's kind of what I was referring to earlier when this movie kind of has a whatever vibe to it, which is mm-hmm. like it was like a real kitchen sink approach. Um, and like their inclusion, along with other stuff that I'm sure we'll talk about, like all like the the faux supernatural, like ghost stuff that comes up in this movie. Uh it's very surreal in a way that the other yeah. two are not. Like the first one is grounded. I know I keep saying that and I've said it in other mm-hmm. podcasts I've done, but like the first one is tries to play it straight, which I love. And then the second one's like kind of still in the same vein, but starting to heighten things a little bit. And then this one's just like, hey, guess what? Jay and Silent Bob, kids, who else could be next? <laughs> right. Who else are we going to throw in here? Yeah, exactly. Uh, once we, I'm going to wait a little bit to get into that discussion, but I had something I wanted to bring up along those lines. Um, but I think that's a more of a wrapping up kind of thing. Um, so let's go. Yeah. So we've got, we meet, we meet the whole cat. So yeah, go ahead, Kelly. What's going on here? So Courtney's hair. Now, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's worse meeting. than the last one. <laughs> It's so bad that you think someone hates her there, which is surprising because I thought like everybody loves Courtney Cox. So it's like, is there one hairdresser that was like, I'm going to ruin her life? I um, think that, that yeah, it's just the it's it's the worst thing they could have done to her. We have to we have but to continue she's... this conversation. Is it a bit like we talked about this last time? It has to be a bit. Right? I think <laughs> I, I, yeah. the second movie to me, like she has the streaks in her hair and everything. And she looks great, by the way, I think. But uh in that second movie, she has the streaks in her hair and everything, and people comment on it. And it's like, I think yeah. the joke is like she's trying to do something like a person younger than she is would sure. do. Sure. A little too hard. And yeah, I think in this movie, like her hair is just inexplicable unless <laughs> it's a bit. It so has I mean, to be. Yeah. Because the style. I'm willing to do it. The style for the rest of the characters is pretty consistent. Like not always great, but pretty consistent. Nothing egregious. This is the one example of just like, what is going on? But because of the streaks, I do think that they're doing something. They're purposely yeah. making the hair bad. I hope, I hope you think so. Sport. Yes, absolutely. I think so. I think so. So after that, we're meeting. Um, so Gail and Dewey reunite again. Again, they had some kind of tension and break in the past that, uh, sent them in two separate ways and to the point where they did they barely seem to know each other again so they reunite um dewey has a lot of things to say about her being on the lot even though i think she was invited at this point i think she's already invited by the police to be there to investigate by uh mcdream yeah, do we, patrick dempsey do we point out that they like this movie's whole like motif is that there is a movie be- called uh where it's it's stab three is being shot and uh, a lot of the cast members that we're going to meet are like past of that movie within a movie. Um, and it, and with the, with the murder early on of cotton, there is concern that Ghostface is going to be targeting people involved in the project. And Dewey's already signed on as a, as a advisor to the movie. Uh, right. It's it's, it apparently is going to be like an origin story type movie because they've rebuilt the house of uh, Stu, uh, Stu's house from Scream One, but anyway, like that's gonna be the whole. This movie's whole deal is it's they're shooting a movie within the mm-hmm. movie, and boy, yeah. isn't Hollywood crazy? 
Yeah, and I like that. Build that house yeah. to a very creepily accurate degree. Like that is like the scariest thing they could have done is replicate that house exactly mm-hmm. for the world inside. The world inside Scream is very, like, it's very important to them that they get every single detail (laughs) correct in a news story when recreating it for a film to, like, the house set is exactly the same and, like, the, you know, the streets are exactly the same and everything is set up exactly the way that it was. Yeah, and the whole idea here is that we're watching, we're watching what I assume... I guess again, I, this is a overall conversation, but I assume that they would they uh, they is the creators of the of this the actual Scream franchise thought this was going to be a trilogy and thought this was the third one in the trilogy and thought they were done. Did is that correct? Am I getting? I don't know if this is true, but they were. The idea is that they were thinking, okay, there's Scream one, two, and three. We're done. In in universe, there's a movie called Stab. They're on the third movie. They're acting as if they're treating it as if the the Stab series is a trilogy. And that then they scream also saying like Scream is gonna be a trilogy. We're done after three. Or did you think like because I mean that's what they imply, especially when um Randy's little sister comes back with the tape, he basically points Randy. out like yeah. this is like the like final like everyone's can die trilogy ending so i think originally yeah that was the plan it was like it ends here and even if i i I don't know if like when they were originally making scream four because that came out way after scream three right it's like i don't know if they originally intended like to still have like characters come back for that or not but Mm -hmm. uh so supposedly supposedly kevin williamson when he was shopping and, and he wrote scream one like he had written outlines for what Scream 2 and 3 should be um, as okay. like a way of enticing studios. Like, hey, you can turn this into a franchise. Uh, keeping in mind, of course, that like slashers were way on the outskirts of Hollywood uh, in terms of popularity and, and getting made. So it, it was pretty ballsy of him to uh, to be like, I, you can do three movies that nobody will go see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess that was the, you know, Scream 2 went more or less according to plan. And then Scream 3 he wasn't able to come back and work with a movie again. So they gave it to a different guy to like write the full deal. And I guess he eschewed most of, uh, of Williamson's ideas for three, but Paul, you're, you're Mm -hmm. pointing out exactly the the truth of the matter, which is like every single one of these movies has to be a meta commentary about the movie. And this is a, this is a commentary about trilogies and what the rules are for trilogies and stuff. So I definitely don't think they plan on doing anything further after this. And I think as Kelly pointed out, the fact that it came back all those years later had more to do with Hollywood being like, well, we're not going to fund any new ideas. Like what old ones that are bankable can we, you know, re- resurrect and scream was one of those franchises. Right. And they were very right. Cause I will probably still see any scream that comes out and they're consistently good. Like I haven't seen a scream yet that I'm like, this sucked. So yeah, they knocked right out of the park with that one. There. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I have written on here, like uh, like you guys said, there's the the stab movie that's going on, stab three. So I I really like this intro of getting to know the characters. It's kind of like a it's pretty much just a like a bam bam bam. We're in, being introduced. We know exactly who they're supposed to be in the story. Uh, so we have the Randy character, the um, whatever 
We have everybody. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not a straight, it's not a straight recreation, right? Because like the Randy character is like they they point out that the actor playing him, his name isn't Rand or he he's not actually Randy Randy. He right. but he, he's a he's a black character who is like a video store clerk, uh, whose character may actually be called Randy in the movie, but he's not supposed to be like straight across, uh, you know, Jamie Kennedy's uh, Randy. And then also Jenny McCarthy is in the movie, like very clearly visually supposed to resemble Tatum but her name is not Tatum so they're not doing like a straight up recreation or whatever uh within the fiction of Stab 3 but I don't I don't know why I always thought she was supposed to be Casey I think just because she dies so quickly in the movie she says oh yeah that, I always yeah. thought she was supposed to be Casey and then like I, I guess they don't really have a one-to-one of everybody because then yeah we meet Dewey the the guy who plays Dewey and then um Sid which is a it was a really weird choice for Sid too, because they kind of give it to like a, a more like mousy girl, like Emily fiction. Mortimer. Yeah, bird bones, we, bird bones herself. Yes, yeah. I kept. I I wrote I wrote several times. Oh my bones! Uh, <laughs> Careful, my bones. <laughs> it's so hard. Like that's her like most prized role. I think like I can't see her and not just think my bones. I think she probably would prefer that. I, I shouldn't speak for her, but like the two roles I know her from, and I was I was overjoyed to see her in this. I was like, fuck yeah, that roles. Um, but her two big roles to me are uh, the news, uh, sorry, um, 30 Rock, like we were just talking about. But also she was in Newsroom, which uh, has, shall we say, a uh, mixed reputation nowadays, but uh, was a very big deal when it, when it debuted. And she was mm-hmm. a very big part of it. Anyway. Huh. Everyone watched the newsroom. Just kidding. So, do that. <laughs> <laughs> so from here is where I got the Jane Silent Bob cameo, which we've already talked about. But uh, so Gail, I think she gets kicked out of the studio because she's got her camera in there and she's not supposed to have it. I think that's when when she leaves. But she leaves and she walks by uh, Jane Silent Bob, and uh, I think. They do the bit that they do in like every Kevin Smith movie, where they call her by the wrong name and then she flips him off. Right. Uh, and I mean, the other thing too, do, have we met, uh, Gail's, we've met Gail's like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Corollary or, or uh, stand in character from stab three, right? Parker Posey mm-hmm. is playing I, a Gail type. Yes. I can't remember yes. if we already met her in that scene, but I think we do because we learn that because, uh, she gets mad at Dewey during that scene because he's with, uh, the Parker Posey's Gail now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole deal, the whole reason we're here in the first place is cotton gets killed Cops talk to uh, Gail about the possibility that, you know, this the, the murders could continue with other people connected to the original case. She goes to the set of Stab 3, uh, sees Dewey there, uh, and then Dewey, as I said earlier, was is advising the film. And then that's where we meet Parker Posey playing the Gail stand-in, and that's where Gail finds out that they're dating. Uh, and that, uh, you know, basically Parker Posey is doing a fantastic job playing like a super heightened version of gail's like tough as nails exterior uh who gets the story at any cost and she fucking rules in this movie she's so good she's definitely one of the best parts of this movie i think she like i think she is probably a big part of what makes this movie work because like i think all all these characters are supposed to be like played up versions of like the uh, the actual characters but i think she just does such a good job like comedically that it's just it works so well especially once they pair up and go together like just seeing them, like her trying to be Gail while Gail's actually mm-hmm. being Gail, but super annoyed with Parker Posey the entire time. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, it rules. Uh, I was so glad to see her. I, I knew she was in this movie, and I, was, but I didn't remember 
you know, like I said, a lot of the content. So I was just like, okay, uh, Parker's always good at, you know, in whatever she does. So like, let's see what happens. And then she just, she delivers, she delivers so hard and I should have guessed that she would, but it was uh, a lot of fun to watch. What's the, what's the word for someone who's like so good that it's like almost like that shit. Anybody else tries to deliver that line. You'd say they were a bad actor, right? That's the conclusion I've come to with her. It's just like somehow she's able to deliver these lines with some sort of believability that even though anybody else delivering it would be like, it would be really ham fisted or be very like, you know, just, you could kind of feel it a little bit, but it's just so perfect the way that she does it. Um, Yeah. That that scene where she's melting down and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but just as an example, what you're talking about, uh, that scene later on where she's like smoking a cigarette and cause she's melting down that she might be mm-hmm. next. And you know, she's like, do you see this? I haven't had one of these in over a year. Like she's just like really yeah. like up <laughs> the melodrama of it. Like she's so wrapped up in her own thing that she's like totally blind to everybody. Else. And then at the very end of that scene, after everybody leaves the room, she just wordlessly walks over to her bodyguard and like climbs up into his arms so that he's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever. like yeah. it's just, I can't, I, I do not believe and don't even bother telling me that was in the script because it fucking wasn't. I guarantee it. I guarantee <laughs> you can that. And uh, it doesn't hurt that her bodyguard played by Patrick Warburton uh, mm-hmm. is just visually so funny. He's like so giant. She's just like whoop, right up into his arms. Anyway. I'm she, glad that you said his last name first because I just have W. Blah, 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 blah. I always forget <laughs> what it is. That's right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, her and him together, like they, cause they both have just like very specific ways of talking and like they're, they're both very good at being dumb, but not, not feeling like a stupid character. Yeah. So like they're, they're both playing like I, Patrick a little less in this role than he normally is in other stuff, but like still, still he was a stupid guy like during this movie, but like they're, but they were both like just delivering those lines, just like so spot on with like the comedic timing of it. It was just incredible. Like those, it's it's just so good that we got those two in those roles. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. A little sad that, oh, go ahead. ahead. No, No, you go ahead. I was, I was going on with the plot. You move it on because you'll probably say the thing that I was about to say very soon and I don't want to spoil it. So please continue. Okay. Well, I don't know if I will or not, but we, (laughs) from here, we go back to, to Sid who is taking a nap and having a very vivid dream of her mom's ghost coming towards the window i know that i saw this movie at a way younger age than both of you i was terrified of this scene like i had nightmares forever i i think i watched this but i was probably like eight or nine but like uh it scared the shit out of me because it was so different i think i think i felt so safe in the first two screams where it, mm. it was a straight up slasher movie. So like I I ex- expect uh, Ghostface to be there. I don't expect a fucking actual ghost to show up in these movies, you know? That was like thrown in there like out of nowhere for me. So like I'm not used to watching scary actual scary movies where scary shit happens mm-hmm. and just like fun fun little slasher movies, fun <laughs> people dying, you know. <laughs> and then suddenly there's yeah, a fucking ghost. <laughs> yeah. I love this. Like we've seen so many people die, just like stabbed awfully, and Kelly's like, "I'm here for the fun stuff, you know, not." Really <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I was not ready for me. like some. Sorry, it's just. I was just gonna coming, say, it, yeah, it's scary as shit. Go ahead, Paul. I get what you're saying because 
you you understand the formula, right? You understand what's going on and it's like, okay, it's going to be this guy and there's going to be a big reveal and then it's going to feel a little bit safer kind of because it's like you devil, you know, parked behind whatever. And then it's like, it's a very (laughs) direct thing. And it's like, okay, this is all, you know, uh, this is with this group, you know, like, but the ghost thing just kind of, it was creepy. I thought it was Um, like, I was not expecting it. It's not a. You, you're both saying like there's supernatural elements. This isn't supposed to be an actual ghost, right? She wakes up from a dream. I'm pretty sure every, well, I don't know for sure. I think it might be some kind of hallucinations at the same time, because this is obviously a dream, but then later it happens again where you're not really yeah. sure. I think Sydney's actually seeing this. I'm, I, I don't, I don't think that Roman had the ability to be like, um, like projecting those images in there so like she was clearly seeing this stuff in her mind i think okay yeah i guess that's it's i think it's very obviously supposed to be um like a red herring sort of element to the movie it's also very underdeveloped i think in terms of like the narrative like they don't they don't do the work to make it seem that believable Mm. it's just like sort of a series of imageries or a, a series of imagery to make you kind of be like Ooh, isn't that weird? Or is is Sid like totally sane, or is like she kind of losing a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't love it. I think it's kind of goofy. Like it reminds me of uh, when I was a little kid. There was a, a show called "Are You Afraid of the Dark" on Nick at Night, or sorry, Nickelodeon. Uh, and it's like this supposedly like a kind of like a horror, you know, uh, anthology show for kids. Uh, and there was one where. <laughs> Uh, this kid is like hanging out with his elderly neighbor a bunch and then one day he like blows her off and doesn't hang out with her and then he tries to come back the next day and ooh, the house turns out to have been dilapidated this whole time and no one actually mm. lives there and he goes in and he's like hello like, like <laughs> trying to find this old neighbor of his and this lady like emerges and she's like you didn't come yesterday i told you to not miss yesterday of all days and he's like, ooh, like freaking out he's like that was the day that I died. <laughs> he like runs away from the house. It's so scary. It, like this is that level of scary to me. It's just kind of like Sid's mom in like pale uh, makeup being like, Sydney, you'll turn out just like me. <laughs> All right, man, come on. Like, like let's get to the stabbing. You know what, out by the road. There are so many Are You Afraid of the Darks that I that scared the hell out of me. So I feel like the one you just described, which I don't remember, I feel like I probably would have been like, holy shit. Like, I can't yeah. believe this happened. Just like, but I also think this scene, I think the thing that's scary about it more than the actual ghost coming up that like freaked me out, I think is, um, I think what we're supposed to feel is Sydney's isolated out in that house alone. Yeah, and I think that's me. that's what scares me more than anything when I'm watching that because it reminds me because we had um, uh, a friend when I was little that was that we used to like house sit their house and sometimes we'd be there by ourselves and so like they had all these like big open windows that faced like cornfields and shit and so like when I see that I'm like she looks out the window and thinks she's seeing something because she's alone in a house so she's kind of like making stuff like scarier than it is. But at the same time, Sydney has an actual reason to be afraid. So it's like, if I had that and then was in that house, like that's like the double scare, like scared the shit out of me. No, totally. And and it, it helps for sure to like, you know, understand the context of when you and I both saw those movies. For me at this point, I was just like a, you know, I was a teen and I was totally cynical. Like, 
yeah i was no longer getting scared by the stuff that like even like scream one freaked me out uh by you know as a, as a younger kid um whereas yeah you were you're younger than me and you're seeing it in a different context for sure so uh i just thought it was really weird because like yeah you mentioned kelly they do a callback to it later and i was like you guys really haven't like set this up enough to make it believable that there's like some sort of supernatural element to this but yeah it is anyway. unclear whether it's just sydney's issue like hallucination or if it's like yeah they don't really do the whole maureen thing very well and like i don't know they don't really treat her character very well either mm. like i just feel like she gets called a whore and a slut a lot and then she's yeah. ghost, and then, <laughs> and then yeah. she's just kind of she dead. gets blamed for a lot of stuff this is well, this movie I gets into find some... out what happened to her like jesus christ mm. like they still talk yeah. about her in those terms like my yeah. god anyway yeah there, there's some stuff that this movie does that i don't think is is great especially compared to the the other two which I think do a lot much better job with a lot of the stuff, but this is this is not a great look. Um, yeah, I don't know that I didn't think. I guess I I didn't mind the the scene with the mom in the window, um, just because it was. Well, you know, it wasn't scary, but I also didn't think I it was see. tacky. I just thought it was like, I guess I just just like that's that's seems like her mind's going a little bit, you know, like yeah. I kind of understood it as far as like. She doesn't really know what to believe, and now it's coming back up, and you know she's kind of got to go face this again. It's supposed to be, you know, they keep mentioning how it's it's the third movie, everything comes back around, like it all started with this case with her mom, so now it's that's coming back, you know, like I I guess I kind of get why they're why they're doing that, you know. I think the yeah. movie isn't paying enough attention to the fact that nothing bad could possibly happen to Sydney as long as she has her golden retriever with her. Yeah. totally Very undercuts true. the danger element yeah it is bizarre that she doesn't take that dog with her to the city it's like the I dog agree. has to stay at this house by itself after a ghost was there the dad will as take far as out. sydney knows i don't think the dad stays there when sydney's not there well maybe he does when she leaves to go to la to solve a murder well that's something that they should have sat down and really talked us through <laughs> I will say that as a the child of a family who has had like three golden retrievers in a row, um, definitely would be like going up to Ghostface and being like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Like, just kind of generally want to be friends with them. Kind of doesn't matter what Ghostface is doing to me or anybody else. Like, those dogs are just too friendly. <laughs> <laughs> so from here, we so we got Maureen's ghost. Uh, Sydney is... Uh, I think after this is when Sydney decides to come back. We don't see her, I think, until she comes back, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. Uh, we no, see no, her. because she gets that creepy call, and that's why she comes back. Um, oh, I'm trying to figure out where we are because after this, I have the Jenny McCarthy, but I don't. I couldn't remember if it goes straight to Jenny McCarthy's scene from here or not. I think it does because it again. This is just another example to me of this movie being like, eh. Uh, now this happened, like. Because, yeah, it goes right to Jenny McCarthy's death. It does not feel, like, significant or, uh, like, you don't, we didn't spend any... She's had, like, one speaking line, maybe two, before, like... We, this, yeah, this we basically thing. met her, and then it's her death scene. Yeah. yeah. Really, it's it's so unfortunate uh, in a cosmic sense and also in a very practical sense that Jenny McCarthy turned out to be who she turned out to be. Because um, she is funny, and she's, like, charming in these earlier roles you know uh i've yeah. i've enjoyed her career quite a bit right up until the part where she like became a vaccine skeptic but uh that's the one yeah yeah 
I couldn't remember what her thing was. Yeah, so just immeasurable harm uh, telling people that uh, vaccines yeah. is autism. Uh, she's like patient zero of that little mind contagion. But anyway. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> so, for, so for for Jenny McCarthy's <laughs> death, um, she is, she got called to the studio by Roman, who's the director of these films, um, or this film in particular. Um, he called her in supposedly to run lines with her. Um, and so she gets to the office, she runs into the um, movies Randy first, who is supposed to be the jump scare because he's got he's got the scissors comically through his head um, that are like working through makeup and props. And so he leaves and says that nobody else is supposed to be in the studio. So she doesn't even like he doesn't even know why she's there. And then she gets a call from Roman while she's in his office um and he uh uh, like we're supposed to believe this is roman at the time um he calls they start to run through the lines um they get to a part in the scene where he has new lines for and starts reading and then starts threatening her and turns into ghost face and then we have her whole chase scene and death scene um what i have written through this one is i i know that we already talked about like how like this is like creepily accurate of like the first one if we're in the universe of this actually happening to people so it would be really 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 scary if this whole thing happened to you if we were sid this whole thing happened to you a guy in a mask they use the exact same mask that the guy actually used to like come after you i was thinking yeah. about that when jenny mccarthy's in that row of them i was like that's pretty fucked up that they're like let's use mm-hmm. like the exact same uh, outfit that he killed everybody in yeah yeah so that, that that's basically that's where we are so i want to make a, an, an sorry, note that, i was just gonna say this, this is uh well no that i had seen this uh for the second time this week after watching this but somebody answering somebody else's office phone now this is a weird thing in both in both instances when i saw this in this movie in an episode of friends that <laughs> somebody was in somebody else's office they get a call and they both these people that are in a in not their own office in a completely you know in an area they're not in charge of they both decide to immediately answer the phone and it ends up being the person whose office it is but i just feel that's i would never if it's someone's phone rang in an office i'm like i'm not touching that i don't like answering the phone anyway why I would i do it I- I, I like I hear what you're saying and I probably wouldn't in a normal situation but I think the only reason she does is because Roman called this meeting with her and then she's alone in there and then there's a call I I think I okay. might assume if if this was before cell phone times which it kind of still is but kind of not now they're still cloning cell phones in this yeah <laughs> but like if, if if I was told to be in someone's office they didn't show up and then the phone started ringing I think I might answer it Okay. I I think this is insane behavior and <laughs> thank you. Yes. The uh, the ancient Greeks used to send people who answered other people's office phones for them. Uh, used to exile them, uh, and they weren't allowed back in the country. Uh, Even so, in this situation, I correct, like I yeah. I would never like answer someone's phone in like any other situation. But he asked her to be in there and didn't show up. Well, listen. I don't. Like to, I don't like to to make myself the you know the the only avatar of the situation here. But I I work in an office, Kelly. Damn it! And if anybody answered my phone when I wasn't there, I don't know. This bit is, but uh, it, it just <laughs> it seems weird to me. 
yeah i just i've I've been in somebody's office when the phone rang and i'm just like oh like i i would never touch that i don't want to i don't want to deal with that you know yeah, I get where you guys are coming from because I wouldn't do it in a normal situation. If I was just in someone's office and the phone rang and I wouldn't answer that. I don't know. It's just I I felt like it was believable, I guess. I, it didn't stop me from being like, oh, she shouldn't have done that. I don't remember what happened in Friends. I might completely disagree with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, did the two of you like the fact that uh, Jenny McCarthy, who I, I still think the way that she is presented, like with her wardrobe and stuff, I think her character is sort of a Tatum stand in. But I do like mm-hmm. Kelly's point that it could be Casey. Um, but as a further part of the Tatum thing, I thought it was a funny bit that Jenny's voice when she's running lines is like the breathy, you know, uh, uh, you know, female victim type character. The same yeah. thing Rose McGowan was doing. She's like, oh, please, Mr. Ghostface, don't kill me. Uh, like Jenny's doing that exact same kind of bit uh, running her lines, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, was I funny. didn't think about that, that well but done. yeah, that's true. Um, oh man, I just I just had a point and it, it left. I shouldn't have even spoken. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no. All right, let's move on. <laughs> doesn't Doesn't this scene, so yeah, like she's running these lines she thinks it's Roman, but as we know now from a couple different examples, Ghostface little uh, voice modulator can just mm-hmm. copy other voices now. So he it was copying Roman's voice, and then it drops the you know Ghostface drops the bit. Uh, it's her versus him. She kind of does a decent job of holding him off for a little bit, uh, and then he kills her. Like I, the whole thing to me felt very like unceremonious and kind of yeah. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, like as much as the second movie was kind of a, a weird situation where they introduced so many characters that we didn't really get a chance to spend that much time with them. This movie does a kind of similar thing of introducing a ton of characters, but makes mm-hmm. a different choice to basically say, like, look, we're going to spend a lot of time with just a few of them uh, and right. not try to spread it around so much, which I think is actually better. Hmm. I, that's but, interesting. I yeah, think it could be. You don't get spend much much time with, but anyway, sorry. But yeah, I see what you're saying. I guess just they did they did have there's certain characters, I w- I think that they're very much trying to push it on that that like they're trying to get you to go down the path that it's like okay it's this oh, character absolutely. it's 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 the cop character the Dr- McDreamy guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they uh, go hard on McDreamy. I think you you were all supposed to think it was McDreamy. Yeah, uh, I like that we're we're. Uh, I don't know about Joe, but we're both calling him McDreamy, even though I don't think we <laughs> care about Grey's Anatomy. Even I think that that well, that just, really ruins. That's what his. he is. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what he is. Um, and everyone's like, everyone knows who McDreamy is. <laughs> they do. I just know. They do. I just know him. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. That's like what he's known for. Yeah. I just think I, can, I can never really remember what his name is. I just remember it's the most Irish name on the goddamn planet. <laughs> it uh, looks like it would be, yeah. Yeah, so Patrick I just think Dempsey. of him as the Irish. Yes, exactly. So I just think of him as like Irish guy, even though he's not Irish. <laughs> <laughs> is he not even Irish? No, he's, well, he's American, but yeah, I'm sure he is. I see. The sense, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. He has the surname Mick McDreamy, Paul. Of course he's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I mean. I, I've never, I have not seen a single episode of Grey's Anatomy, but I knew exactly what, uh, who you were talking about. That's what's so funny. Yeah, people just know McDreamy. Yeah. Um, I keep forgetting all of my points. <laughs> um, 
I shouldn't even start talking, but then I just feel that I have to. And I'll be like, I'll I'll remember. I'll remember when I start talking. And then it's just like, nope, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh I do think that they did I was gonna say that I don't think that yeah, they obviously have the characters they're like, okay, it's it's this person, it's careful my bones, it's McDreamy. I and I think it's it's the director, right? Like they kind of um like he was he was a prime suspect in my mind as someone who could not remember what happened and honestly i was watching with my wife and she said halfway through like oh uh sydney ends up marrying the cop and i'm like well okay so it's not the cop so like <laughs> i could have been convinced it was up until we'll talk about the end soon but i um you know they they do spend a lot of time with them but they kind of, yeah, like there's there's a couple characters like this this woman gets pretty brutally murdered pretty quickly. It's not, they don't like, it's not, it doesn't feel like in the Scream formula where we really get to see it drawn out. You really feel the weight of all the deaths, even the smaller characters. In this case, it's pretty quick. It was it was kind of a death-like, um, more like what they're parroting or what they're calling out. With these mm -hmm. characters, I think more so than than maybe what they um, what what they usually do, I guess. Yeah, I think that um, even in like Scream Two, where they start, you know, Jada gets a pretty awful, violent death with a lot of a lot of stabbing. Like she gets hit so many times, um, yeah. you know. But there, there's still with her, with Sarah Michelle Geller, even with Randy, who I, you know, we we had our consternation about how his death was portrayed. Um, I think there was still a, a sense of like respect or, or at least like giving their character their due. Right. And I feel like this movie doesn't really like its cast very much. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, there yeah, there doesn't seem to be that same level of, you know, it, I don't know. I was just blown away by like M Jenny McCarthy's character's death is just like, so by the numbers happens quickly. They don't even do like a heightening of the previous movie where like you know she gets like stabbed in like terrible disgusting ways or whatever she's like no right. she's dead. she's out of here all right let's, let's go let's move on i don't know if this is the intention too but i guess when whenever it was a death of one of the stab three characters instead of the actual like scream cast it felt like just a throwaway but i feel like it was supposed to be like oh like we don't really care about them they were just tv deaths it wasn't like the, this is the real cast and these are the fake people so that's kind of like how that. it like it, mm. I kind of split it up in my head that way. I was like, "Oh, it doesn't really matter if the stab three cast dies because we care about with the with the exception of Parker Posey, we care about say, the main yeah. cast." Yeah, Parker Parker gets a good one, uh, and she yeah. she comes off well in it. But this movie loves her, right? Like of yeah. all of all of the stab cast that we're sort of like you know kind of laughing at behind her, you know, snickering at behind our hands. Like she's the one who gets by far the most screen time and the movie gives her like the best lines of that, you know, core group. Um, yeah. And she's the only one that really joins the group. Everybody else is just yeah. kind of like, Oh, we're doing our thing. And you guys are doing your thing. She's the only one that kind of crosses the border and like, is like, I'm working, I'm working with you guys so I can stay alive is basically what she says. Yeah, so. that's very true. I, I, I was laughing a second ago, not that I think it was wrong or anything, but um y'all talking about Emily Mortimer's character like she's the Sid stand-in like being kind of put up as a suspect it, from the, with the movie's framing do not disagree whatsoever it's just funny to me because like I feel like she was barely a character until right before she died <laughs> like she wasn't doing 
anything in that movie until like the last second, you know, if from my viewing, I was just like, she Man. had all those yeah. little things though. Like she yeah, had the mask, yeah. she ha was holding the mask. Right. So we're like, why is she holding the mask? And then they have when the, uh, well, we'll get to this in a second, but when they all roll down the hill, shit, like they're all like, why were you so far away from everybody else? So there was yeah, like a right. bunch of tiny little things, but it wasn't really coming from her directly. It was all coming from them saying it about her. So that right. really makes sense to you. Like, yeah, you're right. We didn't really get a chance to be with her character. So it probably would have just been yeah. kind of infuriating if she was Ghostface, because you're like, all right, this stupid little idiot, like, she yeah, wasn't even part of the group. Well, I that, could see it, too. Like, I kind of thought of it as, like, A, that they were doing, like, a Billy thing, because Billy was very much like, that could, that dude should be the killer. Like, everything he's doing, he's being creepy, and, like, he's doing, like, he's being very intense, and, like, so I felt like they were kind of doing that with her character too. What's her character's name in this movie? Angel. It's um, either Angelina or Angeline. I'm not, Angelina. I think. Angelina. I yeah. think it is Angelina. Um, and like I feel like they were doing that every time she was on screen. It was like, oh, it's it's almost too obvious it's her. So I'm thinking maybe it, like I thought like I could see it being her just because they're making it so obvious. They're doing it's like why were you so far away and. Like she was in the bathroom. What the hell was she doing in the bathroom stall? Um, she was hiding her things from Sid, the main person that's going to steal all their stuff for some reason. <laughs> that was like, that one was like, there's a couple things in here. I feel like this is one of them that they were just like, they didn't explain enough for me to be like, it's like they wanted like, yeah, they they're supposed to throw you off or something, but it's like, yeah, but you didn't really tell us what, the purpose was for that it's like why would anybody be doing that unless they were planning something like that and i thought i could see it it's like oh she got so into the role like she got so into the sydney role she she figured out the whole backstory and uh, did more that. digging on her own and like found out about the mom and like then you know discovered this whole side of it and I, that was going to be her angle you know like but there's just going back. I was like, because I, I honestly, I could not remember who it was. And I was like, I could see it being her. And like, because because they were just making it so they were just putting the spotlight on her so much. I just kind of felt like, okay, you know, they're talking about bringing it back around. They did this with Billy. Maybe it's just her again. I don't know. Your yeah. made up ending was a very believable ending, though. Like I did, I yeah. didn't think about it that way. I probably could have believed it was her. I mean, frankly better than i think the movie did by her character so uh, <laughs> yeah just to really quickly comment on what you said paul like um to me the 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 bits were like you know she's they emerges from the hill further away and you know basically unharmed uh you know later in the plot when uh, another cast member dies and the small little things the circumstantial things they put her in to sort of put the you know raise the question could it be her it mm -hmm. it, it doesn't feel as well plotted or as tight or as convincing as like, you know, the, the Billy stuff that you were talking about. Um, it just kind of feels to me like, oh, just feels a little tired. There's like, Oh man, we got to do a third movie. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's here's, here's her, here's her in a few situations to raise your eyebrow. Now shut up and let's just move on. All right. Let's right. go. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So from here um, in the plot, we've got, um, we kind of already talked about this um, already, but from here, they actually find out, like, or kind of figure out what's going on, um, because this is the part where Parker Posey figures out that Gail dies next, and that she's in danger. 
So right. um, they've the got right that the 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 killer is going by like the script, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah, the script of Stab Three, and so in Stab Three, like those characters die sequentially, and so the next character that's supposed to die, the third victim is supposed to be the Gale stand-in, which is the Parker Posey character, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we've got, got that, and we've also got uh, the detectives are working on the case now. So we got McDreamy and his assistant guy <laughs> that we don't really spend much time with. Um, so we got them working on the case, and they also find photographs of Maureen Prescott. I don't know if we know we we know it's her already. I think Maureen Prescott on each body. So the killer is killing someone and then leaving a new photo of young Maureen Prescott at, at the body at, at the scene. So we've got those two clues pretty much so far. I think those are the only two clues, unless I'm forgetting something else. I think that's it. I mean, uh, yeah. do, do they reveal at this point that, you know, because they're they're very convinced, uh, Parker Posey's character is very convinced that she's next to be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But then uh, the detective points out, maybe a little bit later on, that there were numerous scripts drafted to kind of keep the internet from figuring out what's, you know, what the actual script was going to be. So that there are, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the Gale stand-in next because in some of the other scripts, different characters die. Do you think they put that in because of what happened with Scream 2 where it got leaked? And then, yeah. Yeah, definitely. yeah, they definitely did. And I think that was really interesting. I was excited when they brought that up, but I don't think it really paid off at all. Um, yeah. Like, I was just like, that's a really cool idea to have it be like, there's, there's three scripts out there and they have to figure out which one they, you know, the killer has and you know, try to figure out who to protect and like who to put their resources behind to, you know, like who's who they're coming after. And it's just kind of like after that, it's just dropped. Like they, right, don't, they don't really try to figure out who is the next three people. Like they're yeah. just kind of like, well, it could be you, but it could be other two other people, two other nameless people. Right. So yeah. it's basically it could be anyone still. Yeah. They don't go into it. I think it's another example for me of, of the movie kind of just, um, kind of shrugging its shoulders a little bit just being like all right look so yeah. you know not, it's not for sure going to be gail it could be anybody moving on and i was like all right cool <laughs> uh this is, this is that scene that we were talking about earlier where parker is freaking out and like smoking her first cigarette in a year or something like that um and then we get a better look at warburton patrick warburton as her bodyguard and i think it's right after this that like they're walking out and dewey is sort of like giving warburton advice and then yeah, yeah. Patrick fires back and he's like, hey, listen, uh, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> your background's not so good. Like he's just like giving him shit <laughs> yeah. for all the friends that, you know, that Dewey's quote unquote let die. He's like, how about you take some advice from me instead? And I was like, that is funny. Like uh, Patrick Warburton <laughs> was getting, well done. Yeah. Yeah. He was getting to do some good comedy work with the few lines that he got, which I really liked. And it was very funny how accepting Dewey was with him saying that. Like, he didn't fire back. He's not like an alpha dude. He was just kind of like, all right, just walk yeah. away. And he was kind of like, eh, he's got a point. <laughs> yeah, he's like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, but, um, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. They, pl- they played that up so well. And just his imposing size, like coming up on Dewey, who's a smaller guy, you know, just like that height differential and him giving that speech, like great comedy moment great little moment in this movie i think yeah and i yeah i really liked how dewey handled it he's just kind of like he's very very sure of himself you know it's just like that thing is just like all right you know you've got a point i'm gonna go now and like it's not like he cowered off or anything he's just like okay (laughs) sounds good right i wish i could remember the little nickname that 
Warburton calls me like Dewey. I think he says dewdrop. Does he say dewdrop? That's yeah. exactly what it is. That rule. <laughs> oh God, I hope he came up with that in the moment. That's very funny. <laughs> it it but, felt very putty, so I think that's why I remember a hey, dewdrop. Yeah, dewdrop for sure. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, he so, nails. Um, I ha- nails this Sorry, thing. go ahead, Paul. And that's it. Just saying, he did I- a good job. Um, so I'm not sure which order these go in, but I know that this is about the time where McDreamy borrows Dewey's phone, and that's when we're supposed to be suspecting that he. this is how he gets Sid's information, mm-hmm. and this is where Sid gets pulled back into the story. Um, but I don't remember if that happens before or after uh, Patrick's death. Because I know that our next uh, part of the story is uh, Sid getting the unsettling call and then getting pulled back into the story. But I, at the same moment um, is uh, Patrick's death as he's he's patrolling the the, the um, house. Gail's hiding in the bushes, um, eavesdropping <laughs> on uh, Parker Posey and Dewey's uh, conversation in their house um so he finds her first and he like pulls her in and like tells parker posey that she was like on the grounds so we've got gail parker posey and dewey all together and then patrick starts walking around the house again um and then i think that's when the the next ghost scene happens where he gets attacked and i do feel like um these like i i guess maybe it's just because in the in the last two these were like with the exception of the mom it was pretty much young guys doing all the killing but like these deaths just felt way more personal it felt like he was like actually coming to attack them and not it Mm. wasn't more it wasn't it didn't have much of the goofy element that the first two had i think i don't know how you guys feel oh i see you're saying like there's less slapstick in this one yeah exactly Mm. okay it's more like i'm coming to kill you and like i got the job done like you said like they're kind of faster Mm. deaths um, yeah. it's not as much running around throwing pianos down the stairs kind of deal <laughs> we did get so, that though we got sydney <laughs> throwing things down the stairs at ghostface um but yeah the the characters that aren't the the big characters the characters that we suspect might not make it out um tend to have shorter faster deaths and he does as if he's kind of learning from the first movies, he's like, okay, I'm just, instead of playing with him a little bit, letting him find a weapon or whatever, I'm just going to run in and, and start stabbing. Yeah, and just he's get there this to over kill. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, like, you know, in the second movie, there's, like, a lot of, like, Randy gets stabbed, like, a bunch. Uh, Jada gets stabbed yeah. a bunch. And then it seems like in this movie, it's almost more realistic in the sense that, like, Warburton gets one in the back. And then that kind of does the entire job, which is fairly accurate. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. Uh, he puts up a fight, too. Like, his character actually gets a bit of a good moment. Um, and all, the camera also kind of lingers on him a little bit, you know, bleeding from the mouth and everything as he's, like, succumbing to the... Oh, oh yeah, because he co- he's... I think he's coming to try to warn them that Ghostface is there at that point because he's wandering up to the door and he finally dies when they open the door and he falls face first down. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. several. I wanted to say real quick too, just to more context for this scene is that because I really I actually like this whole sequence. Um, but it's Dewey or Ghostface is doing the voice changer with Dewey's voice to call um the bodyguard character. 
So they're kind of have a conversation. He's under the impression that he's talking to Dewey originally before he switches over to Ghostface. And he's like, I'm going to come kill you now. So I felt like there was a moment where too when he was kind of coming up because there's like he's like in like this zombie state or like this like frankenstein monster he's walking up he's got blood on his face he's barely got enough life left to just kind of you know try to go find the group and try to explain what happens just has no life left and like gets there and just collapse yeah echoes of kenny yeah and it's like I, oh, it took um, me a second. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> of course, we all remember Kenny Joe. We, we love Kenny. <laughs> Kenny is the greatest hero of this series so far. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, oh. Oh, I was going to say, too, that um, I think they did a good job. This comes up one one other. No, it comes up a couple times, but they did a good job having Dewey in this instance when he's doing the voice and it's Ghostface doing the voice, it doesn't exactly sound like Dewey. Um, there's some mannerisms that aren't the same. He's being a little bit more direct and like to the point where it's just like Ghostface doesn't quite, he's got the the exact voice that he's taken over with his voice changer thing, but he doesn't quite have the character down, you know? Mm. And yeah. like, even though it's, you know, it's the same actor reading it, they do a good job of like, it's a little bit off you know I, yeah yeah i think they did it a happens good job later on it happens later on with sydney uh yeah uh, when dewey is talking to who he thinks for some reason he thinks it's sydney despite the fact it's like she's not as stupid as like what the <laughs> the killer is you know she's like, i'm gonna go to this huge mansion for no reason right like, oh, guess we gotta go with her like man <laughs> dewey how many of these have you been through dog like you know <laughs> right. you know like this creepy old man said he wants to talk to me. I'm going to his house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Sid spent like the last movie and a half just being like, my life is an awful train wreck, uh, full of violence, and I just want to get away from everything. And then the Sydney on the phone that he's talking to is like, huh, guess I'm gonna go hang out with this old man. Anyway, Houston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. Dewey, damn it. Yeah. Which you're right. It's like it's great because if it is like the the killer doesn't really understand these these people and he's he's doing his best to mimic it but you know it's not quite there right so within the same scene where like uh because uh patrick gets murdered within the scene where all the other characters are still trying to figure out like who who this being targeted and then they're all running around parker posey's house um and this is when they start getting the facts so they're all trying to read it it's it's supposed to be like played off as like new lines for the script but it's like detailing um what's happening to them now so um i think the first one says like um there's going to be one person that makes it out alive and then all the lights go out and um courtney cox understandably just says let's all get out of the house because obviously the killer wants us in the house and so people keep trying to run back in, but they try to get everybody out. And then finally the the stab three guy that's playing Dewey runs back in with a lighter and uh, gets blown up for smelling the gas, which I don't know how you uh, how you guys said this, but like if the lights were out in there, I probably would have just taken that paper outside. I don't know why uh, Ghostface mm. in this instance would assume that they were going to light a lighter. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. The- the whole sequence itself is is kind of jumbled and and um 
I, for me, it was a little difficult to follow. I mean, I understood generally mm -hmm. what was going on, but like the motivations of the characters themselves weren't set out super great. But the general, you know, uh, drama is that they're all inside. Uh, they're getting pages, like new pages of the script from a fax machine. And for our younger listeners, a fax machine is a telephone connected to a waffle iron that spits out paper. Uh, and they are, you know, they're trying to read like what's going to happen because they think it's going to give them a clue of like what they can do to, you know, get out of the situation or outsmart the killer. But they're also scared that the killer is like right outside. So like stay inside, go outside, stay inside, go outside. There's that tension. And uh, ultimately, Dewey convinces everyone to get out. And then mm -hmm. I think Tom is the guy's name. Uh decides to go back in kind of cravenly. I think, you know, people are just at odds about what's the safest way to, to, to avoid the killer. Mm -hmm. Tom wants to be inside. The lights get cut. I think that's the only reason why the, that the killer would assume a lighter would get used. Cause like they didn't have smartphones with like the flashlight feature on them. I, I guess all they would have logically at that point would be a lighter or something like that to, to try to see inside the house, I guess, flashlights are totally out of the out of the question i don't know yeah. kelly you make a good point is what i'm saying uh it, it's not super clear what they're doing or, or how this logically mm -hmm. leads from one point to the next but the important thing is the killer left the gas on and then tom flicks on the lighter to try to read the, the pages that he's got in his hand and then it ignites the gas yeah and then the line is just whoever smells the gas and then Right. That. Yeah. and then that, yeah, that right. is when everybody goes tumbling down the hill um and a ghost face i think i don't know if he gets anybody in that moment but he's chasing after uh, uh he's chasing after somebody but he like rolls under the car i think dewey shoots mm -hmm. him yeah yeah it's correct. uh gail he's going after oh. gail um and dewey shoots at him and he then uh, goes I know in this the car. same scene him, with right? Parker Posey, this is I think when so, yeah. Parker Posey gets pissed off that Dewey goes after real Gale to protect her and not not her. And then this is that fun scene where she gets punched and she does that. My lawyer likes oh. that. Is that I was gonna <laughs> ask about that. Reading. Is that a reference to something? Because if not, it's like that's just an iconic I don't moment think anyway. So. But like it's just a perfect, the absolute best line reading in this entire movie i think but i loved just, it yeah yeah so, yeah i think it's just supposed to be like parker playing up like that self-absorbed actor thing uh you know and also like uh no actor will ever have you know nobody no actors are going to have somebody else have the upper hand on them they always have some sort of retort whether sure. or not <laughs> one but yeah my even though she literally just punched somebody else in the face. Yeah, exactly <laughs> Oh, it's so good. She fucking rules, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're down another cast member. By the way, as we say goodbye to Tom, the guy who was uh, cast in Stab 3 to play the Dewey stand-in, I just I wanted to point out that I had to look him up because he looked really familiar to me for some reason. Uh, turns out I don't know him from anything else he's done. Oh. He worked a little bit for sure. This is a guy who was trained at Juilliard and then eventually got tired of his acting career not taking off the way he wanted to. And then he, he went into medicine and he now uh, teaches. He, he's a practicing certified physician's assistant. And uh, he's an instructor at Oregon Health and Science University here where I live. Wow. 
Very interesting. A very smart guy. Very accomplished. Yeah. Dang. Don't know. Good for him. Yeah. I I don't know why I recognize him. Yeah. Just maybe it was just so memorable in this role for you that you remembered him flicking that lighter and. That was it. That's right. I, 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 he, I think he looks he looks a lot like um another guy that was in like the not another true. teen movie movies. He's he in a bunch like of stuff, but he guy, looks just like that guy. The guy from community that has the small nipples that Annie went out with. That's the same guy. Is it okay? Like that's, yeah, that's a little oh, like, that guy because yeah. that was like fifteen years later or something. But not probably not that long after, but it's just like he looked exactly like. Yeah, if we guy. both pulled the same <laughs> actor out, yeah. Eric Christian Olsen is that guy's name. Which one? The guy from Community? the actual actor, the one we're talking about. The the, the better known one from all the other stuff okay. you guys are talking about. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. yeah, yeah. It's funny that we both picked him out, but from different movies and roles. Which you're totally right. But yeah, he looks he looks That's just like that true. guy. Clearly, he looks like that guy. <laughs> So from here, <laughs> from here, we're pulling Sid back in. And then we're also, um, I think this is also playing up um, suspecting McDreamy more. Because this is not long after um, uh, McDreamy borrows Dewey's cell phone is when um, Sydney is getting a call from the crisis center as Laura. And suddenly the the voice, uh, she he goes in with uh, Maureen mm-hmm. Prescott's voice. So she recognizes the voice. It's kind of creeping her out. The, the call is a little unsettling. The person sounds a little off. Um, I forget exactly what the conversation was. But then like she, the, the uh, when she actually notices, when she looks down at the phone, she realizes that the person called her at home and not the office. So she knows that this is a person calling her specifically. And then mm-hmm. um, that's when um, she gets pulled back into the actual ghost face because ghost face knows where she is now. He has her phone mm-hmm. number. He can find her house. So now Sydney is no longer safe out in the middle of nowhere with her golden retriever and her father. Mm. She's safe because she has golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> Do we know how Ghostface Man, uh, the director man, learns where Sydney is? Did I miss the? Did we learn how he we discovers don't specifically? I mean, he could have gotten it from a other person's phone because at this point, I mean, we all know who the killer is, but like. Um, I think he was playing up being like so annoying and just over the top and not caring about anything that you didn't really suspect him. And I think that other people mm. just stopped caring about him because he was so fucking annoying that people were just like, all right, well, this guy sucks. <laughs> and so I feel like uh, he was he was in all those situations. So he was with them when McDreamy got Dewey's phone. But we yeah, we don't specifically okay. know when um, actual Ghostface got his phone, her phone number. But okay. I would expect, I would suspect that it was during that same period. I don't know. Interesting. So Sid gets pulled. <laughs> <laughs> so Sid gets pulled back into the situation, and this is when we actually she's on the set with the trailer, and then that's when um, Randy's sister comes out and makes her debut, um, and she has a tape from Randy, who has the rules for the trilogy, the ending of a trilogy movie. Shall we take a moment to say that Randy's sister is played by Heather Mother, excuse me, Heather Matarazzo, and uh, that she rules. Uh, she's great. She's one of the best '90s character actors. 
uh, in my estimation. Uh, I was really glad to see her show up. And also she's like a perfect Jamie Kennedy, like look, you know, not a lookalike, mm. but like could believe that yeah. she is a great fan. It is yeah, very believable 100%. that they're siblings. It, it, also, the way they talk, it's just like, I, I would believe these two people grew up together. Yeah, yeah, totally. Her character, uh, and I, I don't, this is not having anything to do with the way that she plays it. It's like the lines that she's given. She is kind of maudlin. Uh, I think that they kind of put her in here to like, for fans who are, they make, they make reference in the movie about like disgruntled fans who are mad about Randy getting killed in uh, Scream 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's kind of in here as like a an olive branch of those fans, and like you're supposed to kind of like, it, hey, if you were if you're a big Randy guy, like go ahead and feel free to put that love on on his, you know, this character because she's cool and like the the cast mm. loves her, and she loves them, even though you've never seen her before. Uh, <laughs> hey one of those, guys, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's one <laughs> of those things that there there are weird tonal shifts in this movie. Mm. One of them is the the supernatural illusions that sort of we've talked about. Um, another is like the sentimental stuff that they throw in there. This is part of it. And then later on with like stuff between Dewey and Gale, um, there's a lot of like sentimentality where like the score swells, like we're watching uh, mm-hmm. like a like a rom-com or something. Um, anyway, it just it very it's very funny to me. There's so many tonal shifts, but I was really glad to see her. Yeah, I know yeah, it, it was kind of a, a comic relief at the same time. Like, I, cause I know he's like explaining the rules and it kind of brings it back to the first two films. But then there's that fun part where like he starts the video and they kind of have that back and forth with between Dewey and Randy. Um, I forget what like they actually said, but like they, it, it like plays in a way that Dewey's actually answering mm-hmm. him while he's talking. Um, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, it, it's really quick. It's it's Randy like thanking this girl that he uh you know lost his virginity to and he names her you know I'll just make up a name like Jane Davis and then Dewey watching the video goes Jane Davis and then Randy on the video is like yes Jane Davis <laughs> yeah he's it's ready pretty- to be defensive about it yeah it's, and then he's it's like <laughs> and he tells he's like shut up <laughs> yeah uh, it's so well done yeah um I liked it. I you both had told me about this and actually my wife had told me about it too because it's just like oh yeah Randy comes back and he does this thing and I'm like I can't imagine that's good <laughs> like I can't imagine how that would go and not be a distraction and I'm like eh, they, you know what I didn't hate that like his sister shows up I liked his sister like I bought that like I didn't really care that it was a little strange like it was very it was believable a- that Randy would have made that tape like the sure, way that yeah. he was in the first two films, especially like uh, being a big film guy, of course he's going to record himself doing something like dramatic like that. It made sense. He wants to be a part of it even after he's dead. And exactly. um, yeah, and I, I get that too as being kind of an olive branch is like, yeah, I know some people didn't like that Randy died and they weren't sure how to handle that. And you know what? I don't think it was that bad. I think they did it. I don't think job. so either. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I get getting attached to characters. Um, and obviously like we don't want like the main people to die, but like sometimes like the, the side main characters have to die. And I think that's what they're running into in the newer ones is they don't want anyone to die. Mm. Um, and they want to keep everybody happy. So like all these people get stabbed, like, like a million times and then at the end they're like oh they pulled oh, through and you're like fucking yeah. how how <laughs> show I'll me how <laughs> i will say this about that 
Kelly. I think that they're, they're the problem that they're running into is that with the original cast, you know, from the very first scream, like those are those are built in stakes, right? Like Randy dying is a huge stakes heightener because, as you mentioned, that's a, a side main character, and it but it shows that you know those types of characters are not safe, and then like potentially neither are the main character. But like with the newer scream movies, they don't really have the same core of like you know five or six characters who are survivors of the you know what I mean that have the same level of stakes attached to them. So I think maybe they're trying to build those stakes by getting letting you get to know those characters better mm-hmm. over the course of these newer movies. That being said, I haven't seen the newest one, so I probably should shut up. Well, and it, it also I was thinking the same thing. Depends, <laughs> I guess if four, five, and six is supposed to be a trilogy, just like the one, two, and three, because I know I have not. I don't think I've seen four, or and I definitely haven't seen five four or six. But kind of stands on its own because four yeah. is kind of all new, and then five, six, and seven go together, and it seems like they're keeping these characters. Seven. So I don't think it's a trilogy anymore. Well, okay. seven hasn't come out yet, but um, five and six. Okay, so six is the one that's in soon. theaters, and seven's yeah, it's already of, it's it's streaming now. What the heck? <laughs> seven is like going to come out soon. Life moves pretty fast, Paul. Wow, but like, okay, whatever. But I'm not ready. I think I within seen... the, like the next year, I think it's supposed to come out, and I wow. think that's what their goal was. They're just trying to like do like bam, bam, bam because they know it's really hot right now. So they're like, we got to get these, especially like Jenna Ortega. They're like, well, everyone loves her right now. So like, we need to get mm. these like out. But, before um, she but yeah, for, um, there is some people that come back in the newest one that was just in theaters that were in four, but it's still pretty standalone in the way it's mm. set up. Okay. That's what I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get there when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. Um, after this, um, I, I just have written down that I love, I, I know we've already talked this to death, but I love the pairing of, uh, Gail and fake Gail. Parker Posey and Courtney Cox work so well together. Just the way, uh, mm-hmm. they're both their comedic timing is so great. Like Parker Posey obviously is more of a comedic actress. Like she's got like the, she's got great line readings, but like Courtney Cox can hold her own too. Like, and, and the way they play off each other is just incredible. Like what, and it's more like a, um, because uh, uh, there's not really a good cop, bad cop. It's more like dumb cop, dumber cop. Like Courtney Cox is obviously <laughs> smart. Like she's got this thing down, but they're not, they don't know what they're doing. So it's not like, a, oh, we're like big time investigators. They're both just like kind of pulling it out. Gail obviously has more experience. And then uh, Parker Posey is just tagging along, but like neither of them know what they're doing. So it's just fun to just watch them be like these like two, like just, just going at it and getting shit done. There's this amazing moment. I can't even remember what the full context of the scene is, but Gail, I think they're all in a car and it's, it's Gail, fake Gail and, and Dewey. And she's like, that's not the Gail I know talking about something (laughs) that she did. They're just like, shut up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like you're not actually an investigator. Like you don't know how to do this. Like, I just, I love that moment so much. It was incredible too because they tell her to shut up and then she just goes back in the like backseat like a little sibling and like she goes just like yeah. goes back there and pouts and then like a second later she hears something else she just comes right back up and you're like there she is I love it so much she's so good even just the scene where she like goes over to Courtney Cox to tell her like I'm gonna follow you around because if someone's trying to kill you then they'll kill you and they won't kill me 
And if someone would kill me, yeah, he would kill you. <laughs> yeah, she's she was a lot of fun to have around. Um, I'm sad that she would just didn't continue in the series. It's like it's Galen's it, whatever her name is. She wants to come back for seven, and I applaud it, and I hope it happens. Yes, but she's Somehow. died. We don't know that for sure. Anything can happen, Paul. Anything can happen. How many long lost siblings or family members have shown up? Come on, she can have a That's twist. true. Right? <laughs> Make it happen, Hollywood. Yeah, so whatever. Just scene... reboot the whole thing and have her be Gail. God, that would That's rule good. Paul. Full of so many good ideas right now. What the hell? Ah, I'm just knocking him out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> So within our Gail and Gail pairing up, I love this part. They go talk to Carrie Fisher down in the basement of the studio where they are trying to figure out, uh, they have Maureen's photos and they're trying to figure out where she is and why she had a fake name. And they're trying to figure out who she was for the two years that she was missing from Woodsboro. So they're trying to link um, whatever the killer has on these, on Maureen during that time period that's linking her to the new deaths happening now. And they go to talk to Carrie Fisher, who is, she has a lot of great line readings in this too. I love when she's like, I, I answer to the president of the studio. <laughs> I love that. So uh, that's, that's where we are now. So jump in. I don't, I don't understand that secret. I'm sorry. Did you say break, Joe? No, sorry. I just said she's a great cameo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought you said we should take a break right now. For, um, yeah, she is a good cameo. I don't fully understand it. Um, I mean, I get how she was connected to it, but it just felt a little bit, I don't know. Maybe I was just sort of, um, not paying enough attention at the moment, but I don't remember it being, I was just kind of like, that's, that's strange. And I guess I was tying it to, it's like, well, Jay and Silent Bob just kind of showed up. And then I'm like, right. well, in the Jay and Silent Bob movie, uh, <laughs> Carrie Fisher kind of shows up randomly. And then I was just kind of stuck there. I'm like, what is going on in this movie? Like, why is <laughs> Carrie Fisher playing a different actor? And I don't, full, I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was, it, it made as much sense as the Jane Silent Bob stuff. Um, <laughs> but at this point in the movie, I'm just, again, it's been, the movie has been shrugging at me this entire time. Now I'm just shrugging. Sure. <laughs> uh, just accept it. Yeah. yeah. It, whatever. It's like a good little who's on first comedy routine where they're like, are you? And she's like, I'm not. You know, they're like, Mm -hmm. obviously thinking she's Carrie Fisher uh, and it looks like Carrie Fisher but she's like no I am not the woman who slept with George Lucas to get that role and you're like all right man this is fun and weird cool yeah right I'll take it they play up that old Hollywood stuff to kind of an unsettling degree especially nowadays when people actually know this like obviously people knew what was going on in that time but now like all the Me Too stuff has come out we know for a fact like all these creepy old men were actually doing this so it's really unsettling to like have all these jokes thrown in here where it's like this happened to Sydney's mom and you're like oh god why like I it's not guess... really like a, a fun little throw in it's like uh oh jesus what's gross to me about it and like the Carrie Fisher stuff kind of like touches on it a little bit uh the joke about you know Carrie having slept with George Lucas to get the role which obviously didn't happen uh but the thing about Maureen's mom is that I wouldn't even say it's really played for laughs quite so much as it's just sort of played as a, a, a matter of fact. It's just like, yeah, this happened. Oh, yeah, I didn't think it was played for laughs. I I, I think yeah. the one for Carrie Fisher was played for laughs, and then later yeah. when Angelina says it is when the two big laughs happen. But, like, right. 
um, uh, Maureen's stuff was just unsettling to me. It's unsettling. Um, and the movie treats it, and not the movie necessarily, but the tone of it is like very much sort of like, yeah, this happens. And guess what? Get used to it. It's kind of like the, yeah. that comes with it. and again, as Paul was pointing out earlier, like they, M Maureen gets blamed for what happened to her by other characters right. in the movie. And there, again, it seems to just sort of accept that as a matter of course or the natural course of things. And I'm like, and as Kelly, as you mentioned, with all the stuff that we know about the Me Too movement, how much times have changed in that regard, hope, you know, at least a little bit for the better, it leaves this movie coming off like a, a pretty, pretty bad <laughs> in terms of its yeah. stuff. Anyway. And it's especially since, and I don't know, I, I'm just going to say this here and we can decide whether or not we actually want to discuss this. And since I don't know a lot about it, I, I kind of don't want to, but I know that Harvey Weinstein is very in in fluent like has a lot of influence on these films and you know as a part of miramax and like had actually brought up the idea of doing a scream three and his fingerprints are all over these things not like creatively so much but at least he, he and obviously at this time he was already doing these things you know he seems like he's been his entire time and again i don't know so i don't really want to I don't know if it's even a good thing to discuss. It's just, I guess, extra gross to me that he has any tie into this. And yes. right, he's obviously uh, being called out like indirectly, but like, yeah, it's creepy that he was also producing these at the same time. But also to both your points that it's sort of treated not with the weight that it should be as if it's yeah. just sort of like, that's Hollywood, you know, <laughs> like not, not a great look at all. Um, and it's, yeah, just made more unfortunate by the fact that he is a big part of just, you know, on the. He's the face of it, right? I mean, like, yeah, he's, yeah. It's, it's a, it is a pervasive thing that, that numerous big, you know, big time names in Hollywood are involved in. Like when you talk about that movement and you talk about the added uh, weight and credence that we give the you know to the people the women specifically who suffered through all that stuff like he he is number one villain uh mm -hmm. in all of that discussion and yeah so for the, this movie to have like what i kind of consider as like a not great attitude toward uh th these women and what happened to them for him to be like a, a primary financial backer <laughs> yeah just adds additional context and i don't i don't blame wes craven i don't blame the writer for sure yeah any of that stuff it is it is the culture of the time because i'll tell you what like i i don't remember that hitting me so hard watching it in the moment back in the year 2000 you know it didn't right. strike me as this awful thing it was like oh yeah no i've heard that like the casting couch rumors like we've all heard about that and what that's like and i choose not to think about that very you know very much uh and and then now that we know actually like the real consequences of that sort of thing and the, the lives that were you know altered by that sort of stuff right. like now we know it's much more serious and it can't be so cavalier you know right and that is just a part of going back and seeing these movies and you do have to put a lot of the context of of the time on them at least what the attitudes were right that doesn't make it right but it just changes the way that you kind of have to look at them. And obviously a lot of those themes are not going to be touched today, or if they are, they're going to be, they're going to look a lot different. You know, we're going to come to a lot of different conclusions um, if they brought that kind of stuff up today. 
but it is just interesting and it's just unavoidable. Like, I think it would be like, obviously we're going to have this conversation no matter what, because they didn't handle it very well and they did brush it under the rug and they did make it seem like it's like, well, yeah, almost like, well, you're, you know, you're, you're getting into that business. Like that's what happens. Like you had it coming, you know, like that kind of stuff on top of that, you know, put Harvey Weinstein in the mix ever. And it doesn't make it anything look better, but just the fact, like you said, Joe, it's just like, he is the face of this whole movement. You know, it's, it's hard to so much of that. So much of the 90s stuff, speaking of Jay and silent Bob, I know that Kevin Smith has had a lot of issues with that. Cause a lot of his, a lot of the funding came directly from him and, you know, dogma in particular, I know has been a huge issue because like, he doesn't feel totally comfortable uh, because I think that's sort of like Harvey's trying to get back into favor with Kevin Smith saying like, Hey, like I've got the rights to dogma. If you want, like you can have them back, but like, I just need some, you know, just trying to weasel his way back in. It just kind of paints everything, you know, but especially yeah. if the actual conversation comes up in the, the text of the movie, it's even harder, you know, to, to look past and, and not discuss. Yeah. Uh, obviously, conversation probably shouldn't just be like two dudes talking about it the whole time. But the, right. the last thing I'll say on it is just that um, I think the thing that hits me the hardest, whether this is fair or not, is that um, Rose McGowan is like a very big part mm-hmm. of that discussion and like what happened to her career specifically because of Harvey Weinstein, among other people. But like she was treated exceedingly poorly. Um, and she is a cornerstone for, for me personally, anyway, she's a cornerstone of this, of this series of movies. I think she's played one of the most iconic characters you could ask for, uh, in this series. And, uh, that, that to me drives the knife in a little deeper, so to speak. Uh, just because I don't know. I, I I love her. I love the work that she did. I know. (laughs) I know like, you know, she, she is a Gen Xer. So later on, she said some political stuff that wasn't necessarily the greatest, but she, she's been through. Yeah. Yeah, It's that's Uh, the way it is. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't discredit anything, you know, any of the stuff that she's worked for or anything like that, you know, yes. To your point. That's what's hard. Everybody has a bad opinion about something. And I think it's hard nowadays because I think everyone expects every person in Hollywood or any, any kind of entertainer to have like perfect politics across the board now. And that that was never really a thing up until like uh, like like maybe the last ten years maybe I don't know yeah but like now it's just like oh but they said this so like Taylor Swift's canceled so, so never mind so yeah just, yeah because there's like yeah. legitimate like I'm using canceled in quotes obviously but like there's like legitimate like oh we shouldn't be supporting this person and then there's like very like oh but did you know so it feels like sometimes you can't like anything like. Like I yeah. get the big ones, obviously, but I'm just talking about like the little ones where like, oh, but um, her boyfriend did this like nine years ago. So uh, are you really listening to that song? And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, it's just one of those situations where like, I think that you that it's very appropriate and necessary to give her the respect and the, um, the you know, attention that she merits for putting herself on the line to bring so much attention to this stuff. And exactly. She's one of those people that was very instrumental in getting Harvey Weinstein prosecuted. Like that's right. people owe her a great debt. 
Um, that being said, you know, if you talk about public figures and they've, they've been on the record of saying, you know, something not great about some other thing, some other unrelated thing, you know, people are sometimes want to jump down your throat being like, do not celebrate this person, blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She's a complicated figure who's done great things in, in certain regards. Uh, and I think that she deserves credit for that. And again, just to wrap it up yeah. for why we brought it up in the first place for this series of movies to have sort of a dim opinion of what women go through and not having a whole lot of sympathy for it is uh, all the more, I, you know, I don't know if it's ironic, but it's all the more driven home by what she's done since. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So from here in the movie, we've got um, <laughs> Sydney is coming back into the set. So this is kind of a, this is kind of a creepy scene too, because Sydney is seeing um, this house set that she had all these uh, past experiences in, like Lita. I think it's it's Stu's house, right? Yes, Stu's house. So Stu's house is the set, and she's coming into it, walking into it like she's pretty much walking into the past. Like that's how it's set up. So she's like walking through. It's all. It's to the degree that Nathan Fielder probably could have built this house. Like it's yeah. set up exactly like Stu's house. So like she's seeing it all. She's it's bringing back memories. I think this is when she has the second hallucination of her mom. That might come a little later when she's back with, um, back in the big house. But like, um, she gets chased by Ghostface in this scene as well. Um, and she pulls a really cool move where uh, she's running. She's running up the stairs. This is the part you alluded to earlier, Paul, where she's like throwing stuff down the stairs. Mm -hmm. But then she gets to. It's obviously a set, so she goes out the door and it just falls. So she like hides on the inside. Ghostface comes, oh, yeah. she pulls him down, and he lands on the bed. And then the, that's the end of this particular chase scene. But it's a, it's a, I liked how it was set up because like it, it really like really brought you back to the moment in that first movie when she comes in and sees it for the first time because it like we've, we we we're kind of feeling what Sid's feeling when she walks in because it's like holy shit like this is this is it this is exactly it. And here's where I think that the the mom ghost thing kind of pays off because because of that, we're not sure what my the you know what state of mind Sydney is in. And we're kind of like, okay, she's very stressed. It seems like maybe she's hallucinating a little bit. So like just to have that whole sequence happen, and then there's that sequence right afterwards where she's talking to the new cop i think and she's like this happened and this happened and he's like oh there's nobody in there i don't know what you're talking about like we did a sweep of the oh, whole yeah. place that and guy like, was a dick he was just upstairs he goes no one's here yeah like, I, that guy <laughs> pissed me away, off asshole and like lucky him that that uh he didn't end up dying like they said he would i don't think so <laughs> but no, um I think he I, yeah, like there's a couple of those in this movie where it's just like they kind of say like, well, this always happens in this one and it just does not happen. <laughs> like I thought for sure that guy was dead because um, they did the whole thing where they're like, oh, one cop always lives. And like he's like, well, I know the suspects or something. Um, but anyway, I, I thought that there was that moment where not that we, like we were like, was that actually did that actually happen? But I kind of like that they play into it like maybe Sydney's a little concerned, like maybe she doesn't really know if that's she's actually experiencing these things because she's had so much trauma. And there's, you know, that's these kind of images coming back now. And maybe she's just in that place and it like all just came came rushing back to her. 
which right. is understandable too because she's uh, she's taken back to uh she i think because the crime scene is set up in that actual house so she's seeing like her her dead mother's body essentially and her. then she's like going through this this house where all this awful stuff happened to her so she's seeing all that but then i i would believe that that would stress her out to the point where she's seeing some like something moving and coming towards her yeah I think it's believable 100 percent. joe i think i cut you off there no i've been uh enjoying your guys's conversation um after this i wrote this down just because this cracked me up but back to gail and gail i love <clears throat> when they come in right after this scene so gail i forget what she has to say but she's coming in to say talk to dewey she, she goes hey do and then parker posey like right afterwards goes do like, it's just it's incredible I, i'll keep saying it i love it so much and we're not really talking about roman too much um i think just because he's such a not interesting character for the majority of this film but like yeah. in between all the scenes that we've talked about is pretty much just roman bitching and moaning about his movie being fucked up so uh i think at this scene is when he's like really really pissed off and he's like actually like he's like i'm gonna be a victim i'm just trying to make a movie here and like I said earlier, I think he's being so unlikable and like just so mm. annoying that you don't really suspect him. Be and I think he's playing that up, obviously, uh, himself. But it's just like, uh, we're just like, okay, just get the camera off this guy. Let's go back to our characters. I'm just sick of this. So, sure, yeah. yeah. I, I would say that this is his only good scene. And I count later scenes uh, in <laughs> that. Um, I do. I think he's very funny in this sequence where he's like, the press is calling me a pariah. I don't even know what that is, but I don't like yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the director, the, the guy that he's talking to, so so Roman's the director, and I guess the the financier, the producer is who he's talking to, mm -hmm. should point out very quickly that the producer is played by Lance Henriksen, who is a Hollywood legend. Uh, he was Bishop in Aliens. Uh, he was ah. been in a ton of stuff. He's been in a lot of... Um, um, James James Cameron movies in general, but also had like had his own TV show for a while. Anyway, he's great. Uh, but he's he's complaining to Lance Henriksen and uh and saying that you know he's he's being viewed as a criminal. And then Henriksen makes some sort of like tossed off joke about like, oh, I'll make you seem dangerous. And then uh then Roman is like, You think it'll help me get work? Like he just yeah. like it's a, <laughs> it's a very quick moment where like he just turns a total 180. Uh, on the situation just by the very idea of like, you know, it could help his, his career even just a little bit. Uh, he's, he's that kind of schmuck. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, this is like Kelly was saying, we've spent so little time with him. All we know is that he's like the director of this stab movie and he's like playing sort of the quintessential self-absorbed uh, director. Um, and that's kind of his whole bit. And I can't remember if it's during this scene or if it was way earlier, right after Jenny McCarthy's death. But I love when he he holds up that trophy that she broke during her scene in there. And he's like, yeah. you don't think this is some sort of message? Like, oh, yeah. he's yeah, trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. like play up that he's going to be the victim too. So yeah. um, I, I feel like good. that was earlier, but... Um... Um, yeah, from from here, I guess we um, we're back with McDreamy is having like all these like long scenes with Sydney. Like it's not clear. Like I think that it's supposed to be like they're falling in love a little bit, but it doesn't really come off that way. Like I know that they like uh, you said, Paul Kelly already said that they end up married at the end and stay married through like it's uh, canon. You don't see McDreamy ever again for the rest of the series, but it's canon that they're married. 
Um, but it never feels like a romantic relationship, I think, because we're supposed nope. to be suspecting him at the yeah. same time. Um, but I think that's no chemistry. <laughs> no chemistry. None whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that's just uh, Patrick Dempsey's in general, because I've never watched a movie that feels like he has chemistry with anybody. <laughs> but like, I, I even wrote this down. I hate the face he makes when he's like being understanding while someone else is talking. It looks so condescending that I just want to yell at him every time he has, like, he's looking. Because he's got this look that he does where he's like, looking straight and he's like nodding slightly and he does it in Grey's Anatomy he does it in every fucking movie he's ever been in but every time he does it I'm like shut up like you you're not listening like he's got just like a smug face I don't like Patrick Dempsey very much I yeah I think that there is there is no chemistry you're right uh, yeah uh, go ahead Joe oh sorry the only thing I was gonna say is like for me like in the movie's fiction I chalk it up to uh sydney having like normal human being boundaries uh like she's not going to be like falling in love with some cop uh who is like working on a case where like people are dying around her all the time uh she's she's a sensible human being with and she has like actual empathy for the people in her life uh she's not busy being like making eyes at uh some cop with like flip you know flippy hair um but yes from a sorry go ahead I was just gonna say the only reason like they even bring it up is because like because we're supposed to see all these scenes and I think we're supposed to think that but it doesn't really come across and the only reason that you know you're supposed to think it is because the other cop says like oh you're you're going off to buy your chocolates and flowers and then you're like what the hell is he talking about yeah like but yeah go ahead what you were saying oh just uh yeah it's just very funny to me I had forgotten that the the fiction you know the canon was that they end up together because I was like couldn't she just like be single for the rest of her life? Yeah, that's weird that they're like, we gotta, we gotta pair her up with this. They had this to give her some police there. officer who, yeah, who has. The, I'd, rather, I'd rather she end up with Parker Posey or something than this drip. Right. <laughs> At least have her just like Parker Posey's your roommate now. Yeah, and yeah, you're going sure. your crazy antics. I'm not sure why they picked him as as like they yeah you're right they didn't have to pair her up with anybody first of all but like why would they just I guess they did think the movies were like this was the end of a trilogy was ending so they were like well we have to give her a happy ending and only happy ending for a woman could be finding a man usually so <laughs> yeah. yeah it seems like <laughs> decently interested in there's a whole sequence here I I wrote something down about this because it stood out to me with them sort of I guess quote-unquote bonding where they're talking about how dramatic both of their lives are and sydney yes and like the cop man mr mcdreamy whatever his name is um <laughs> not so much Mark. it's you know you chose this life and like he says like they, they she does this playful thing sydney does where she says there he's getting ready to leave the room and she's like hey guy what's your favorite scary movie and he does this horrible, I think, just, I just hate this line so much where he stops and he goes, my life. And then he leaves. <laughs> and it's just like, you idiot. Like, are you kidding that, me? Like, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, he uh, was like, I want to spend the rest of my life with that man. Apparently that did it. Yeah. <laughs> You know what, just really quick as an aside, I want to say that I really love that on this podcast, every time that we say Patrick, uh, we're not talking about Patrick Dempsey. Fuck him. We're talking about Patrick Ward. <laughs> the real true. Patrick. Yeah. All right. 
this guy, he just he's just some other dork who uh, unfortunately <laughs> he's uh, one and only. But okay, can't even remember any of his moves. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I don't get that, and I thought it was silly, but whatever. So where are so we? That's I all guess... I have. All I have written down for that scene is how much I hate his face. So let's skip ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I guess okay. So from here they are at ten. Uh, this is when Sydney or Sydney in quotes calls Dewey and calls them to the the house. I think. Wait, yeah, because they this 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 is the I think this we're getting to like the big dramatic ending. So like right. they're all in the house at the very end. So yeah, Sydney's going there. Um. Um, and the rest of them, the rest of the cast is there for some kind of party, which mm -hmm. I guess if if the if the cast of a movie I was in was getting killed by one by one by one, I think the last thing I'd do is just attend a party that had four people there. Like, yeah, so yeah. That's, that's that's another place where this movie is to me, it's just like really limping along, which is that mm -hmm. they have they're, they're having a birthday party for Roman at at this mansion uh, and. They are right. Is is the mansion? Yeah. Is it the set of Stu's house or is it like the? I think it's the producer. It's, it's his. I think it's, it's the Roman's producer's house. house. Oh, it's the producer's. No, house. no, it's the right. producer's house because yeah, right, they find yeah. the secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So they go to this produce. The producer of Stab Three is allow is having everybody over to his house for Roman's birthday, uh, and yeah, Kelly, to your point, like at this point multiple cast members are dead right mm -hmm. uh, yeah to the point where there's two of them like there's angelina and um randy randy's guy so like guy, yeah. yeah um those are the only two except for parker i keep putting her on the other side but they're the only <laughs> yeah, two yeah. like actual actors in the movie and so are, are like why didn't they i guess why didn't they just have a bigger party like are we to assume that roman had no other friends and like no nobody else worked on this movie except for him and yeah a of actors and no time they spend no uh logical uh moment to to give you any sort of foundational reason for that to be the case it's mm -hmm. just they expect you to accept it at face value uh that they're gonna you're now set up in this situation with you know e-cast members uh who are you know they're going to be isolated here pretty soon because there's not that very many of them at this birthday right. party uh roman is despondent i think he's drinking like it from straight from the champagne bottle uh you know he's just bummed about the movie you know probably being dead in the water and his career and all this other stuff uh but yeah like uh th there's even a comment within the movie like as he's like oh, i'm gonna go look around this this huge house like this place is crazy and i think it's the randy stand-in character who's like you're telling me that with like a killer on the loose and like you you work on a movie called Stab 3 but you're just going to like walk around uh by yourself. Right. Uh so yeah, like at, at least at that point the movie is admitting like yeah, this is this is dumb. Uh yeah. we're, we're doing shit now. So anyway, strap in and, and they, enjoy. They also immediately Roman does the we'll be right back, which is supposed to be the you're right. about to die. So right. I I think that they say that in every movie, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um so yeah, he'll he does that, and I think he walks off. He's with Parker Posey at that point. I think. Yeah, she so volunteers they kind of split off. Yeah, right. And it's kind of clue style where they're kind of like in pairs, like looking through the house, finding secret passageways, just kind of having fun. Yeah, for no um, good reason. You're just having for fun. no good reason. Yeah. 
I, and, and to the point, one of you are going to have to help me because I'm not really sure where the plot picks up once they're at the house again. Like, I, well, I, I don't know when Ghostface comes back. I know he gets Angelina and he gets the Randy stand-in, but I don't remember when. So the, the, he, Roman and Angelina go to the basement. And this is a very confusing sequence because he then sees this coffin and looks inside of it and then kind of slyly looks off you know, kind of up the stairs to where Angelina is. She's still at the top of the stairs, too scared to come down. I think and it's, then, it's, uh, it's, it's Parker. Parker's character, yeah. Parker. Because yeah. she's, like, yeah, making sorry. fun. She's roasting him during this, too. Because I think right. they slept together at some point, and, like, they're, they're having a back and forth about that. That's right. That's right. Okay, so, yeah, that's right. So Parker's at the top of the stairs. He looks in this coffin, and, like, I, I guess I kind of remembered, so... I don't want to jump ahead here so we can maybe come back to this um, in case we don't want to, to spoil the end. So why don't we just kind of jump ahead? So we're near the end. Let's just finish off the story here and we'll, we'll come back around and discuss some of these things. Sounds good. Sounds you want good, me yeah. to do it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you said it like you were going to start talking. Oh no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, basically, the endings—they um, are—they're all split up at this point. I know that Angelina has her little like uh, "fuck this, I'm not dying here" situation, where Ghostface is back in the house at this point, and he's like roaming around. Um, I think uh, Angelina's character is with um, Sydney's group, and she's just like, "I didn't." Uh, she she makes that final line where she's like, "I didn't sleep with." Uh, Milton for to get this role just to die or something along mm. those lines and yeah. she does her weird really ass quick. run okay go <laughs> <ahead>. <laughs> just just really quick in terms of like the, the plot like the 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 linchpin of this whole thing is is the killer getting sydney to show up because she had right. she has not been at the the mansion for the birthday party but shit starts going down in the birthday party because like they hear a commotion and then gail goes to where roman had been uh in that basement and then she opens the coffin and sees that Roman like is dead. Like he's got like something yeah. coming up to his torso. So that's why everybody starts freaking out. They're like, oh my God, Ghostface got Roman. Uh, Ghostface appears and starts attacking. That's when uh, Angelina starts running away being like, fuck this. I'm not sticking around here. And she's like looking over her shoulder, yelling back at the group and like, and you guys should get out of here too or something along those lines. Uh, and that's when mm -hmm. she gets gutted. Uh, she gets stabbed by Ghostface as she's like right. running. Uh, and Kelly, sorry, please do talk about her run because it is goofy as hell. <laughs> it's the weird. It's like um, it's the pretty much the run that Anna Ferris does in Scary Movie to make fun of Sydney in the first one. She does the flailing of the arms. Like I don't even know if she's like because there are a bunch of actresses that I've found out like are told not to run in shows because their run is so stupid that they said it's not believable. <laughs> I know Jennifer Goodwin is one of those actresses where they're just like, we can't have you running. And she's like, okay. That's <laughs> so like, I don't know if it's her actual run or if she played that up, but it's the stupidest like Looney Tunes run I've ever seen. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, like in part, some, sometimes with this specific movie and also in horror movies, like um, her character, Jenny McCarthy's character, like they're wearing these... Um, like tops that are very like geared toward trying to draw the 
viewer's eye, I suppose, to their their chest area. So sometimes, like, I wonder if, like, the weird arms movement that she's doing is, like, to emphasize that. I don't know. I, I couldn't mm. tell if it was a commentary on slasher flicks and, like, the, the boobsploitation of the genre or something. But uh, in any event, uh, yeah, she gets got... And then the guy who is like you know, the Randy stand in, like he gets stabbed in the in the stomach. Uh, and generally there's, you know, oh, and uh, this is I think this is where Parker gets got. Right. Yeah, that's the next thing I have written mm. down. So she has okay. kind of a, 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 this one was kind of upset. Uh, it was upsetting, but it was upsetting how it happened, too, because she gets um, in a secret passageway, goes faces after her. And then she's behind these mirrors so we can see Dewey and Gail on the other side and she can see Dewey and Gail. And she's like pounding and screaming. And you can clearly hear pounding and screaming on Dewey's side of the the At least room. enough that it's like, yeah. Enough that he kept like almost leaving though. It's just like, okay, we know that Ghostface is running around. We know people are getting killed. You know you heard something and are seeing vibrations and hearing yeah. a little faint help. Why would you be like, I don't know, it's let's leave, let's go. I think that she could have been saved if he had acted a little faster on that. So like, uh, cause at that point when she's still yelling, like Ghostface isn't even on top of her yet. So like if he had started shooting those uh, panels out, like as soon as he saw that they were moving. Yeah, and she could have just ran through the- Yeah. So that was, I felt like that was like upsetting in her death. I'm just like, oh, she was so fucking close to making it. Like, it's like- if only the characters wouldn't just been like dismissive of that and uh fuck it like it would be one thing if it's like oh we just got to this creepy house and something is happening it's like you know something's happening and this is <laughs> a weird thing and you know there's secret tunnels like it's just upsetting it's it's extremely annoying because like yeah you, like you're saying kelly you can see the ripples of of the mirror on the other side from where parker's character is is like pounding on it and like you can faintly hear her through it as well. So like you can both see and hear something is exactly. up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it, Dewey kind of looks at Gail and he's like, hmm, something might be going on here. Yeah. Not, like, like they start to leave. Yeah. Yeah. His whole attitude is like this sort of like, huh, it's my cop sense, my sixth, or maybe even <laughs> right. sense tells me something is happening. He's like, yes, shoot the fucking thing. <laughs> Like, how easy would it have been in that like oh we don't know what to have dewey doing have him try to be finding a door and not be able to find a door so he knows the only solution then is to shoot those panels out like right. why is it that he's suddenly like he goes from being completely disinterested to being like i need to shoot these panels out in like two seconds like yes it also starts like the furthest away from like where you can see like the the ripple happening or whatever like he yeah yeah leftmost one and works methodically toward the right and it's like (laughs) motherfucker like (laughs) like even if you're worried about hitting her uh like shoot like one or two panels away so it's like you know she can run through yeah or shoot high or low like he was like shooting straight where her face would be yeah that too yes the whole thing yeah, no. Dewey good... really let me down in this <laughs> scene. He let me down. He let Parker down. I guess too. I don't know how. I have a couple questions about this scene because what is this supposed to be? Because my first thought, like before, like I wasn't quite sure where we were. I think when we were when I was originally watching this, so it's like okay, maybe this is a set. So maybe this is like a sound booth, and it's like a one way situation so that like you can't see the people behind it like 
what is that supposed to be? Why is it in there? And then it's so much like the scene in the second movie where they're in the um they're in the radio station. Yeah, it Boom. definitely parallels that. And I think it's just like I don't think it's it's just supposed to be like Milton has a creepy little passageways in his house. And then these are like supposed to be the mirrors in his bedroom, I think, is the okay. side they're on. And then they just can't like I think it's just soundproof and like I don't know why he has it set up this way, but like it's just definitely a soundproof secret passageway. It's just yeah, I was a little confused. It's like it's so much like the last one or the second movie that yeah, I it was kind it, of like thought like, are they doing a callback? But it's like not really, even though it's like it's Dewey and then it's the person playing Gail, which is sort of, but it's just like, I don't know. Like, I just thought that was weird. Like why kind of had the same setup as that? Like, what'd you say, Joe? It's very distracting. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was just like I don't, I don't understand why they, why they did that. And I know, and... know right after this is, oh, go ahead, Paul. No, go, you go ahead. I know right after this is when Sydney finally gets lured to the house. Uh, do do either of you remember who actually got her there? Because I know she shows up and just like, um, they have he has her like do the uh, metal detector to find the guns. She yeah. took uh, two small guns from uh mcdreamy's office with her she has just in um, case uh, somebody had her do a random metal detector obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're always ready for that did she not um, just drive herself or whatever okay but like who like uh, do you remember like why she decided to go oh yeah, yeah because uh, oh go ahead joe well okay i might get this wrong so um <laughs> I, from what i remember i was gonna say is that that ghostface had called and was like hey i have your friends come rescue okay so at this point gail and dewey are tied up yeah right okay and then okay so sydney comes in she shoots and then this is when the officer officer mcdreamy makes another appearance um and then suddenly we have to feel guilty because he's not the killer and we thought he was uh scream likes to pull pull all those in to to pull our guilt trip cards yeah they like to make this little scene his little scene of like it like almost like the cotton weary thing where like is he the killer i don't know he's acting kind of funny telling said to put the gun down yeah Yeah. i didn't think it was all that well done no (laughs) yeah i didn't like that i blame i blame mcdreamy for a lot of this i like (laughs) i wonder i wonder if we put someone else in that role if it would have been a little better very fair i think he was a weird choice but he, I think he might have been big at this mo- in this time period. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure when Grey's Anatomy, since it's still on and it feels like it's just been on forever. I don't remember when its height was, so it might have been the height of Grey's Anatomy when this movie came out. But I don't know that for sure. I don't. I don't think it started yet. I bet because didn't the, it? It in Scrubs <clears throat> started started at the same time. That was like early 2000s. But I think this is still 99, 98. I want to okay. say that. Yeah, I want to say that this is this is two thousand, and I think okay. I think Scrubs and Grey's Anatomy might have been like might have been this year or oh one, but they would have mm. shot this before anything, yeah, you know, before Grey's Anatomy debuted. So right. he got yeah. for all that, um, and I think he's just like I think he fits from the standpoint of like he's undoubtedly like very handsome. 
Um, and I think he fits the role from that perspective. I just don't think he fits it from like a charisma <laughs> aspect or whatever. Zero percent. He has yeah. just no <laughs> charisma. Yeah. I think he'd probably, he, he'd be fine in other contexts probably, but for this role, you have to have like that secret, believable, dark streak, you know, to make it uh, possible for a, a viewer to believe that he might be the killer. Right. And have that. All he has is sort of like a weird glance as he sort of, I th- literally the only moment in the whole movie is after he convinces Sid to put the gun away. He then kind of like takes like a menacing step toward her. Yeah. That yeah. Immediately turns into him like, get out of the way, like pushing her out because Ghostface is appearing from behind her. And then he takes the stab from Ghostface. He takes the stab. Yeah. Yeah, That was so funny. (laughs) But literally, it's just that look on his face when he takes a step toward her is like the only movie where it's at all believable that he has like that inside of him, you know? Right. Because you know who I'm going to say who should have been that is James Marsden. I don't think he was old enough to be. Oh, but yeah. he should have been. That would have been good. Marston would have been so inspired. This is like right around disturbing behavior. And like he he looks like he's 14 in that movie. Uh <laughs> very handsome 14, mind you, but like he looks so young. It would be very funny for him to be the guy where she's like, What's your favorite scary movie? And I'm like, being <laughs> wet 14-year-old James Marsden being like, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> my life um so i think someone else needs to take the reins explaining because i i i think i i've got too i'm too convoluted but we're about i don't think it's you i think it's just that this is sort of a confusing movie and it's hard to keep everything straight because it's like did that happen why did because it's like then it's like i guess it did but why did it happen like, like I, there's a lot I, of that <laughs> i don't fully remember when i think roman just basically they're locked in a room together and sydney and roman and i think he just takes off his his mask to reveal himself doesn't he well okay there's so not- he um this is i do remember this so he got he they find the secret passageway they go down uh, Sydney finds the secret patches. Where he, she goes down into the room where this old producer guy who we met earlier um, says, like, he has these private screenings. There's lots of parties, lots of drugs. Um, they have this, this, so they, she walks in, there's this big screen playing a reel of her mother as a young woman, I believe. Was it, was it like home movies of her and Sydney, or was it? um like showing her when she was actually in these films I, I think i think the deal was um so this yeah this is the the screening room where the producer said earlier that like women got taken advantage of because they were trying to yeah. get more and that sydney's mom was one of them um that she like a whole room of men uh had sex oh. with her or whatever um in any event i think when sid arrives i think what it is is it's a uh, gorilla shot video, you know, grainy film video mm-hmm. of her. I think it's of her meeting with Billy Loomis's dad. Yeah, I think it's That's her it. leaving the hotel That's rooms because I think you see her with Cotton at some point during those so movies, what, at least sometime in this movie. I don't remember if it's this part or not, but I right. think all these scenes are her like leaving hotel rooms. Right. So what happens is Roman, you know, so Ghostface enters, takes off the mask, reveals himself as Roman. 
and then starts basically tell, like immediately drops like by the way i'm your half brother uh yeah. your mom your mom is also my mom <laughs> uh but uh i tried to find her she abandoned my family years later i tried to find her and she said that was so-and-so's baby like she she had a different name uh as a younger woman mm-hmm. yeah i forget what it was like jane yeah. liverson or something it's something like that yeah she she took the name maureen prescott later um and so you know roman was rebuffed by this by maureen uh and was basically told to like go back where he came from to like live with his dad uh he got resentful uh and then started taking footage of her i guess while she was stepping out on her husband and then reveals that he was the guy who gave Billy Loomis the footage of his dad, uh, of her leaving like his dad's um, hotel room or whatever. Like basically he's the one that, that made Billy realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like he, <laughs> in a very, again, the, this trilogy is tired and limping toward the finish line. I think a little right. bit, one of those moments, Sid's like, you're the cause of all of this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that was rough. It was bad. But yeah, so here, so Roman is doing, and he's like trying to work himself up into a lather, uh, you know, yelling at her about like, you know, you took everything from me. You, you I, I should be where you are. Like, you know, that kind of shit that like Stu was doing in the first movie. Oh. All of it did very well in the second movie. And uh, Scott, uh, our old friend, uh, Scott Foley, is not quite pulling it off here, um, trying to bring that same sort of manic energy to it. For uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, that's the thing. She's he's her baby brother, half brother, uh, and uh, he's by gum uh, out for revenge because uh, they have the same mom, and she didn't treat him very good. And that's that's. I, I do love that he goes through this whole speech and like. Um, I, 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 He's like trying to get sympathy and like trying to like show like this is why I had to do what I did. And I do love that Sydney's response is just the complete dismissal of him, like completely. It's just like, oh my God, get over yourself. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like yeah, the specific then, line, I've heard all this shit. I, I yeah. that was really good. I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, but yeah, so at this point, it just becomes like a back and forth, you know, who's gonna get the upper hand situation um uh, you know they're they're duking it out uh and then sid picks up the knife you know after they've been going back and forth a little bit she picks up the knife and she looks at him and she says uh lost something and then he says found something, found something. Pulled, uh, yeah he pulls out a gun and shoots her in the side music swells you know the the hero is dead the hero's in, you know dying now and then he walks up and he shoots the gun at her and it's sort of difficult to tell where he's aiming. Like, I feel like the movie makes it look like he's aiming at her head, but and her head snaps away from the shot when he shoots it. But you don't see like the bullet hole or anything like penetrate like right. her neck or her head or anything like that. So I guess one's left to assume that he shot her in the chest. Um, right. But now, now Sydney's dead and Roman has won. That was a good movie, but yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and um i do like um so uh, from here Ro- roman still thinks that gail and dewey are like tied up outside but they've gotten out and they're like trying to make their way back in um and so like i think that they have do they have their voices like on the voice recorder out there talking 
Is that what they're doing? Because that's what it sounds like they're doing, but I haven't really, I wasn't really sure if like it just mm. seemed like it or if that was actually what they were like. So Roman would still think they're outside because he does open the door and he looks surprised that they're not there. And we hear them talking yeah. clearly. It felt like small soldiers where the, the Gorgonites <laughs> like threw their voices and like they had yeah. them like talking through. They're like, oh, it's the first small thing that the Gorgonites have done. Um, so I felt that way with Gale and Dewey. But like, uh, um, it, but yeah, I think he walks out there and then realizes that he is like fucked because he's got two people mm. out there that are going to be coming after him. Huh. I got, I don't re I remember them finding the voice changer thing in the closet or wherever they where the mask was. What was oh man? I guess that this is what's frustrating about this movie is that there's so much I have to go back and I'm like, wait, why did that happen? And yeah, there's so much just... little stuff, especially in this like dramatic ending. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of it where I'm like, it's very possible I just was I wasn't paying attention for a second and missed something but there's a lot of stuff that i'm just like what was why was the mask and the the voice changer thing why was that all just sitting in a closet kind he of unattended it. he ditched it at some point when he faked his death okay um, so he might have had two because he had to ditch it at that point because suddenly he was the he was murdered and then, uh, I don't but then know he what has his after that. mask <laughs> back, and the uh, Paul the man has several masks. He's the director <laughs> of. Well, Static. true. I mean, that makes sense. He's got a lot of access to the wardrobe. <clears throat> yeah, are we getting into to th or, or have we completed the the plot? I just because I wanted to circle back around and something, but I don't want to go all the way back. I mean, almost. There's there we he's shot Sydney later. Sydney comes back. We realize that she also has a bulletproof vest, just like we found out that he very had a stupid. Bulletproof vest. Yeah. Um. So she was prepared in that way too. Um. They finally have their like final showdown sibling fight. Um. Then, she stabs him in the back, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then like as he's dying, she does that hand holding, which I didn't fully like. I get it, but I don't get it. Uh, I don't like that. I, I didn't like it either. Um, I did like though that um, after like he dies when they're like holding hands, you know, as the siblings forever as they will be, uh, he dies, and then as they're walking away, Randy or sorry, uh, Dewey says something about you know referring back to Randy saying like the killer is supernatural and can't be killed by conventional means, and Sid's like but he wasn't supernatural he's just a guy and then roman gets up you know does the classic scream like rise from the dead yelling yeah. like, up. and then dewey starts plugging him full of bullets but he's wearing a bulletproof vest so <laughs> it's it's playing into that like oh he's an unstoppable killer he's right. supernatural. and then sydney's like the head <laughs> like what <laughs> like shoot him in the head <laughs> like, one in the head he's dead and then he's dewey was down like, yeah then Dewey was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dewey, you're my, I love you, man. Like, I love you so much. But like, you couldn't figure that out with your cop right. instincts, my friend. <laughs> but it was a funny little bit. And then, so yeah, the very end is the coda of Dewey uh, proposing to Gail, her presumably accepting, and then uh, seeing Sid, you know, living the life uh, on a ranch with her dog walking into the house and then there, there's mm. the there's mcdreamy and yep. uh one other person i can't remember 
I think it's uh, it's um, I, I think it's just it's Gale. Dewey and yeah, oh, Dewey okay. and Gale. They're, yeah. they're about to watch a film together, and then uh, at, as you would always ask, what kind of movie? Not what movie? Yeah. What kind of movie? Yeah. I don't want to know if it's Top Gun. I want to know if it's like an action military thriller. <laughs> it's a very like funny thing to say. Like, I don't know. It's also funny to just be like, we're going to watch a movie. <laughs> a movie. Yeah. Uh, How but delightful. Yeah. Another one of those situations where like the, 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 the score is swelling and they're really going out of their way to be like, and it was a happy ending for everyone. Trilogy <laughs> wrapped up. And you're like, yeah. all right. This shit is like saccharine, you know, saccharine sweet in a way that no other movie in the trilogy had been. It just very strange altogether. I said at the top of this that I enjoyed this movie and I did because I think it's fun. I do think it's like the loosest, most like, hey, man, we're just having fun here. We're just fucking around right. uh, as evidenced Which, by Jane Silent Bob, as evidenced by Carrie Fisher. So on uh, so forth. Yeah. Like you can have the we can have the the Sydney one ending but it not being like this super happy, you know, everything worked out thing, you know, like the, the character like walking away from an explosion or riding their bike away into the sunset kind of shit, like that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, it was all hell, but I got out of it kind of ending. Like you can still say <laughs> Sydney's fine. She, you yeah. know, she got out of it without giving us this crap. Like, we I could just have even felt... ended on the shot of her, just her and her dog, honestly. Like, that was already like, oh, she's back. Like, she feels comfortable. She's leaving the gate open. She's got her dog. We didn't really need the the rest of the happy ending, really. And you almost feel like it, it had to have been part of the conversation that, that she leaves that door open and then they pan back over and ghost faces in the doorway <laughs> and yeah. it just cuts to the credits. I mean, it could be something, it could be something like as good. This is going to be cringy or whatever, but like, it could be something as goofy as like her you know returning home her dad's there and like she like the final line is like want to play a game like him sure, and like, yeah and then it's like he just holds up like sorry or something like some board game uh and then she's, <laughs> and she's just like ah damn it like that could have been a way to end this in a way that's like fun and also right. like, you know but this is this is doing the full like uh you know, the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where like we got to see everybody ends up okay. Oh yeah, yeah. The whole proposal scene. I didn't hate the proposal scene because it was a little bittersweet. Um, I like that Dewey was pretty much just like, like this isn't going to work out. Like, I I don't know why we're doing this, but um, Gail, will you marry me? Like, I kind of like that. Just like. I did too. Yeah, you know that I that worked for me, but the the that second ending, like you're saying, Joe, that that um, Lord of the Rings style ending, where it's just like and another one, it's just like <laughs> didn't yeah, wasn't yeah. necessary. Agreed. And that's right. much quicker than you. Did yeah. we do it? Did we do we, it? We, we did. did. It. The only thing I'll say uh, about like you know, because usually we we come back right, and we at least have to talk about um ranking killers and whatnot yeah. paul you also sound like you may have had some other observations about the movie earlier apart from all that stuff we've talked a little bit about the music uh in these movies up to this point and all i'll say about that is that there appears to be some sort of like red right hand uh sequel that they wrote 
that they keep playing throughout this movie like the lyrics are different the music is slightly different but it's referencing red right yeah. hand it's bad was oh, it supposed to be like the stab three version of red right yes hand? yeah it's not good <laughs> uh, but i was just like i i've gone from in the first movie being like man that shit was used so perfectly i love it great job to then the second movie being like oh okay keep using it i guess like it can become like part of the the movie's dna i i suppose and then in this third movie i'm like you have to stop you have to. <laughs> well it's only gonna get better from here buddy <laughs> Um, I didn't really, um, I noticed that song, obviously, but I, yeah, I didn't really notice any, any really music choices in this, like there were in the first two, there weren't any mm -hmm. like major, major, like, uh, music breaks, like school's out for the summer playing, like in the beginning of that scene, right after, right. uh, the principal died or something. Right. It was more, uh, instrumental. And then that song pretty much for this one, as far as I noticed, there might've been I think... something I just missed. No, I agree. I don't remember there being much of a soundtrack at all. Um, I don't remember there being any other songs. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. There was there were a couple uh like <clears throat> during like a scene transition, they played like kind of like a pop punk uh number or whatever, but they were very unobtrusive and they were very quick. And I think mm -hmm. this was much more score heavy, whereas the first movie especially was much more about musical cues with like pop music, which I think is very smart given the genre. Right. Agreed. Yeah, this um, one, um, it was, yeah, cameo heavy. Like it definitely just felt like it, it was just having fun. And I think that's why I, I, I like this movie a lot. Like every time I see it, like I enjoy the whole thing. I like the Roman reveal uh, as far as him just in general, just like the director being the, the actual like stepbrother part is stupid. I don't know why they really had to do that. Like they could have found another reason why the director of stab three could have done this. I don't know, but I, I, I like this movie. Like, I don't think it deserves the like hate that it gets based on the other two i think it gets less now that the new ones have come out than it did before when it was just the three but i think it like it's obviously not as good as the first two but i think it deserves to be like up there just like an ewok ending fun movie <laughs> that's yeah. that's a great comparison i think that's, <laughs> that's that's spot on absolutely yeah um i agree i think this is the weakest one but i think it's fun and I had a yeah, I had a good time watching it. There are a couple things where it was just like, why did that happen? I don't, yeah, we don't have to get into them now since we're we're wrapping up here. I just like I didn't personally think like Roman his whole switch thing pretending to be dead was done very well. I don't think they fully explained how yeah. he got made up that way or like yeah, like it, that was the kind of it. It was just like this like hand wavy thing. And it's like, they could have at least brought back the guy that helped the dude with the scissors, you know, like make that some sort of connection. I don't yeah, know. Like, it was, yeah. They made him a solo and they also had Courtney Cox check his pulse, which they never under like, that's a good point. True. Yeah. They would have been like, I trained my body to like not do. Yeah. For <laughs> he doesn't explain that at all. Like, it's just I'm like, like I'll take Superman. <laughs> <I can> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like i'll take bullshit i'll take bullshit reasoning but like give me something like they didn't give me they didn't give us anything for that they um 
but they like just had her not check his pulse like but they like exactly. had her check the pulse like yeah i don't know if i saw like i don't know what i'd do in any or situation. picking up a fake the... fake knife or like finding i don't know something that just got me it was just felt like it was this sort of like they had a scene in there and it's like well this out this movie's already an hour like two hours and 15 minutes we can't add anything else so they'll just have to figure it out or hope that it doesn't matter i don't know <laughs> like i i just feel like that a lot in this one and coming from the second one which i thought was like it was rushed but at least they i felt like they kind of landed everything um this this one i just feel like i don't know they were all over the place they were having fun but i don't think it really worked often and i don't think they really even tied it back enough to to make it make sense the whole stupid half brother reveal i just thought was was nothing and i really hated that whole the whole ending i thought was like it was pretty brief too like i don't feel like it like and it's just like why is again it's just like why is he killing all of these people if it's like okay all he wants to do yes he has this whole you know this whole revenge idea against sydney but it's like if it's all he wants is just have her die or you know kill the producer dude kill her make it seem like she, that you know she did it why are you killing all these people you're, you're right. making it like yeah. it's just a lot of stuff i'm just like that doesn't make any sense they didn't they needed another think, killer too i think yeah i think there should always be two killers i think it made no sense for him to be acting alone but you're right that I didn't really question that before that I think that his his goal was getting Sydney out of hiding is the is why he did the death but it was very elaborate for what he probably had to do to get Sydney out of hiding or to find her phone number he probably could have done that without killing a bunch of people first so yeah yeah there's really no solid reason I don't know if they could have given him a second uh, a second killer that could have maybe made that made more sense because usually the killers have like one main reason and then one side reason so like maybe there could have been a side reason why people on the stabs three set had to die like maybe someone do... that was a survivor was like pissed off or something I don't know that's where you could do the Angelica thing if that's her name um, Angelina Angelina sorry um, <laughs> that you could do the... <laughs> right um, the Angelina thing where she's like, oh, I got really into the role and I needed to be in the, you know, that kind of thing. And like he took right. advantage of her because he could see how into it she was. So he could use that like that. I think that would probably be a pretty easy connection. But there's probably a couple other ones like that. I don't know. Like to have it be like this is how the screen movies work. There's always two. And it's always like. You know, you got to be on the lookout for that. It's just to make it suddenly it's one person. They don't really have that strong of a motive. We don't really know what it is until this whole reveal. Like it's never hinted at that she maybe has a, a brother or that like, oh, this is like, I don't know. Not, not, I thought the payoff, it's just like it didn't work at all. That for is me. honestly so much better. I don't know. They should have hired all three of us to do punch ups on all these scripts because we're really killing it with these extras. I agree. Uh, and let me, let me follow that up by saying this, Kelly, because I think you'll agree with me. The real boss move for this movie would have been to kill Cotton as the first victim, but then at the very end, reveal Cotton is the second killer. He's oh. the, the real shit. He is like in a. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
with uh, Roman to like kick off these series of murders to get Sid out of the woodwork. And then they can make up whatever cockamamie reason that Cotton wants. The way I would do it probably is instead of having Sid freak out, you know, framing Sid for trying to kill the producer, frame Sid for trying to kill Cotton uh, and and have it wrap up that way. I mean, that to me, really good. Right. So to me, like there are so many things they could have done to make this uh, really interesting. And instead, I, I'm not saying this as a, as a criticism and I'm not saying this to be flippant. I don't think they set out to make like an interesting, good final trilogy movie, like the the final meta commentary on a trilogy. I think they seriously set out to make this movie to go in there and do a victory trot and basically kind of wink to the audience to be like, can you believe we made it? Like, <laughs> yeah, not and us, right? Like the, the audience and the production, like the, the this movie seems to be saying all the time, like, I can't believe the shit worked. Can you like, let's, let's enjoy this. Like, let's, let's let it all sink in. This is it. This is it for all of us. We're never going to see each other again. Let's just enjoy our company one more time. Like that appears to be the, the whole motivation behind it to me. That's the only way I can explain all of like, the weird cameos, the tonal shifts, the total hand waving on all plot points, and like the total yeah. gives a shit about uh, who the killer is and their motivations and everything, and just sort of like, hey man, who cares? We made it this far. Let's just have a good time, right? right. And I like, also congratulations, Cass. Let's have a four person sad party in a giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And last thing I wanted to to add, or just just to see if if what your your thoughts are on this, but the fact that Randy kind of lays out a lot of these rules and there's a lot of rules that are brought up and it doesn't seem like any of them actually ended up being accurate. So I, I think, do you think that was them saying like, this isn't going to be a trilogy. This is a series of movies oh. or is it, or is it like they, I don't know <laughs> what else would it be? Like I kind of took it as just like the, this, the real trick here is that this isn't over. Like, we're we're presenting something we keep saying it's the third one we keep saying it's the end of a series but we're not following any of the rules for the end of what he even he even specifies this is what a series looks like this is what uh a trilogy looks like and i don't know i just thought that and was interesting 10 years later it really paid off <laughs> i maybe yeah that's why i kind of think that's probably not true but like <laughs> i just kind of felt like eh, maybe they didn't think it was actually over the way I interpreted it was the movie was the series saying like, okay, we're done. Like we're done with Randy being right about everything. Like we're done with the uh, medical. Okay. We're like, we've, we've wrapped everything up and uh, no, the killer isn't supernatural. Uh, you know, they make the joke about it. Like we talk about at the very end, cause Dewey can't figure out to stop shooting him in the uh, friggin' bulletproof vest. Um, right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's I, to me, it was the series saying like, there are limits even to this. Uh, the killer, okay. you know, reach the conclusion and we're all going to walk away from this now you know uh having had this journey together so you're saying scream 4 ruined the joke i think scream 4 uh, <laughs> number one that's very funny uh i want to give you your view on that uh answering that question earnestly which was not what you intended um i think scream 4 is a, a friggin unicorn i think it's incredible what that movie oh, pulled wow. up there is no reason it's not my favorite in the series but it's extremely high quality and there is no reason for anybody to ever expect a, a series to come back. Like Kelly was saying 10 years after it ended and to restart, you know, kickstart it again in such a 
high quality fashion. Like I, I was oh, wow. blown away by it. And I held I, off. I, I like Scream 4 a lot. Yeah. I, I think don't think cool. I've seen it. So. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Well, now that I've like pumped up expectations, I'm sure we'll come back and you're gonna be like, Joe, you are full of shit. But <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I do think Scream 4 in some ways like um, ruined, <laughs> ruined the joke a little bit, but uh, I, it more, more seriously, I think that it um, changed expectations of what a reboot could look like um, without looking like a total cash grab, instead looking like something that actually belongs alongside the best of the series. The yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, my oh yes. Yeah, a great, great example. <laughs> Thank you. He keeps bringing up that movie because he wants me to watch it and I won't. Oh, Kelly. Oh, um, Kelly. <laughs> That's... Um, sorry. <laughs> four, I like how I like how different it is from the first three, but it still reuses the same characters. And I like the direction that they were going with that. And I kind of wish they would have kept that up. Because I do, like, I like the new ones, but they go, they lean so heavily back into the metaverse that they kind of, they kind of left it behind in four. I get, we'll talk about this more when we actually get to four, but like, I don't know. I, I love all the screen movies, but it gets, um, they're a little cringier to watch the newer ones than um, the four. I feel, I feel I like four just hit it on the, hit it on the head and it's like. I think they should have just kept going in that direction. Yeah, I think four was a a better uh, tonal direction for them to go, but I guess we'll see when we get to the later ones as well. I'm excited. Well, this is fun as always. And uh, I wanted to just say before we wrap this up, because we're not, uh, I'm just mimicking what other podcasts do. But Joe, I don't know if you have anything else that you work on that you wanted to to bring up or talk about or promote here. I would like to promote this podcast's conversation about ranking the Scream uh, killers, and uh, oh, we didn't okay. do that. I will. I will say that I think we all agree. Oh shoot! At last, so <laughs> that's why I didn't even want to have that. I'm like, does anybody yeah. think this guy is anything but last? <laughs> yeah, <he's, laughs> I would be last, curious. It's not even close. So uh, we've had the conversation. <laughs> there you go. He's dead last, and I don't remember my other order, but I remember. Uh, I think by by the next movie we'll have more to move around. I think. I think that's true. (gasps) That's how we end the show. I just (laughs) sigh. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) thanks everybody. Have have a lovely evening. Bye. Bye. Right.